Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. I am your co-host, a totally stupid bro, and across from me is a world, world time Wiggins, <laughs> real time Wiggins, the whammer, the jammer, the slammer, Chris Wiggins. That um, intro was way out of my league. I, who, I had no follow up for that. Hooligan Jesus in the house, yo. Um, hey, this is episode one twenty-one. Yes. Yes, he did that without looking at the notes that I have over here, folks. Welcome to episode 121. This is where I roll in the intro music. Sit this or do a wheelie. All right, <laughs> we're back. I was going to do it live. One of these days we'll do it live. Uh, we'll do everything like live one run through, but not this time. Um, hey, you're late enough the way it is, let alone if we I, add all the music. I know, to I know, it. I know. That's why it's easier just for me to add it later. It's like, okay, I have to listen to the show anyway to make sure everything sounds all right and goes through all right. So, uh, hey, welcome to episode 121. This episode is going to be called Freaky Styly. Do you know Freaky Styly? No. Are you familiar with Freaky Styly, bro? Like, Spamela is kind of Freaky Styly. Sp- Spamela is Freaky Styly. Freaky Styly was a uh, is an old Red Hot Chili Peppers reference, like when they were back when they were good. <laughs> so <laughs> go look it up. Um, yeah, Freaky Styly. Just because there's something I want to talk about at the end of this episode that is going to be freaky slash styly. That's going to be pretty funny. Uh, part of the turd hole that I promised last week. So grease up your turtles and get ready to go in, go deep. Um, on this episode, I would like to say that we have had somebody reach out to us on the Facebooks. The guy that's you were just talking about that's always yeah, <laughs> all the electric. Us. We got a bunch of electric info. <laughs> and, well, er, and, uh, listener Eric likes to yeah send us all sorts of cool videos and like a lot of a lot of cool stuff on there. And this time he said. Guys, you said like, yeah, a lot, like a lot, and I, uh, I say it a lot. I know I say it a lot too. And I listened, and I didn't even catch it. it it's like when you're Australian, and someone's like, "Hey, you got an accent." You're like, "No, I don't," because you you say it so this much. This time in editing, can you just like bleep it out? Just like like when someone curses, just put the uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll put a I'll put a nickel in the jar every time we say like. But I didn't even hear it. To be honest, I went through and I was like, "What's he talking about?" And then I went through and really listened with my good ears. And I heard him. It's mostly me. You were. Oh, really? Yeah. I know I'm bad about <laughs> There's it. There's a lot. I know it. And, and they were subtle, though. And I didn't count the ones where we use it as a simile, as like. You mean say, where we use it like it's properly, supposed to be? Yeah, used. yeah. We, we were saying this is like this. Yeah. But where we slip up and say like this, like we just slip it in there so many times. And I, I only listened to the first 10 minutes because I didn't want to go back and re listen to the episode and you again. I heard it 100 times. I heard it exactly 10 minutes, 25 times used incorrectly and so i did the math there's uh you know 25 times in the first 10 minutes times six uh to make 60 minutes equals 150 times uh times two hours um we would basically say it 300 times in two hours so <laughs> that's our, one of these days we'll have a quota we'll see if we oh, can man we'll see if we can boot out uh a you know, steady 300 likes in, um, in two hours. But I guess if we, if you listen to last show and count them all and it's over three, 300 email us, maybe I'll draw you a cool picture of us saying like, um, so I just wanted to say that intros, uh, welcome to winter part two 
Um, I'd like to say that in like February. Well, not for us. Well, I mean, in February we were having ninety degree weather. It's true. It's and like na- spring part dude. And for now us. it's like seventies. It's getting I, it's like awesome. You and I are. Yeah, we have long sleeve shirts. We have on. long sleeves on right now. It's got to be like sixty something out. And uh, the highs have been like in the high sixties, low seventies. And I'm like, dude, when did winter come to us? And- a buddy of mine moved to Wisconsin last year, year and a half ago. And he's like posting photos today of like three foot of snow. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. It's snowing. Yeah. Like Chris Singsheim was posting some pictures of him out on a on a lake or something or on the river in a kayak picking up trash while it's snowing. And everybody else was like, "Oh, look, here's the street," and it was just ice, you know. Yeah. And I'm like, "What the hell?" Like winter part, dude. It should be. It's almost freaking May. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Last year we followed the WIR's top ten. And they race on the they raced on the um, last Friday of every month, I think it was, and I would talk about it for like three weeks in advance, get so pumped and so excited, and it would freaking rain through the whole wind, like the whole. It didn't matter. It was like yeah. July and it was raining, and and it just happened to be like every time I talked about it, it would rain. And they only did about three solid. I think they did like a makeup day at the end, and uh, before the snow hit, and I think they only had like four rounds. Michelle Michelle clinched it again easily because she only. Had had to, you know, <laughs> the people that didn't break only had four chances to beat her, even with like makeup rain days. So they're supposed to kick off here. Um, it's April now. They're supposed to kick off next month. And I'm thinking with three feet of snow on the ground now, they've only got like three weeks until <laughs> that, that a summer better hit pretty soon. And when it's May and it's still snowing, you're like, you're in Alaska, dude. Like this. So, yeah, that's insane. Yeah. And the fact that we had like 90 degree weather in February and now it's cooling down to like the 50s and 60s at night, like, man, it's a winter part due for sure. Um, weekend highlights. I'm, I'm going to call this the um episode for Eric. He can count how many times we say um in this oh, one. I'm bad about that. <laughs> yeah. uh, the weekend highlights. We had uh, Wigs did some cool stuff. Over the weekend, yeah. Oh, he's got his thumb up, which means just on. Oh, Instagram living. Oh, are you? So when they're listening to this, it's not live though. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So Wig's thumb is up, which is good, which means he can move his thumb because we weren't sure. Oh yeah, the cast did. Yeah, yeah, you haven't seen the cast off. Well, technically, I did, but oh yeah, I didn't. Yeah, um, <laughs> not since last week in studio when you had the watch on your cast. <laughs> it totally caught me off guard. I when I was listening to the episode today to see how many times I said like, <laughs> I started cracking up legitimately at the watch on the cast. That was so rad. But I did see Wigs actually uh, Sunday. Sunday, and uh, he did have no cast on. Yep, and what did you off. do on Sunday, man? He's, the, he's waving right now. I went to the track. Oh, are you waving to a camera? <clears throat> yeah, my phone's right there with rad. Instagram Live. We have. Um, Seven people watching. Nice. Yeah, big famous. Oh, God. <laughs> um, That's more people than are watching me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I didn't, I was going to face it towards you, and I'm like, oh, then people see what he looks like. I yeah. don't want to do that. Not yet, folks. Maybe soon. Um, yeah. yeah, so I went to Willow Springs on the Ducati, and it was amazing. Yeah. And I had tons of fun. Dude, perfect weather for it, too. Oh, it was. It was like, it actually cooled off a little bit in the middle of the day, which sketched me out because the track was a little cooler, but still, like, <clears throat> I never had an issue. The only weird issue I had, I slid it around in three a little bit, 
getting like throttle happy. And then in two, I hit a seam one time and I about laid an egg, dude. It, it scared the bejesus out of me. Was that in, coming into the skid pad or something? Like I can't really think of where the seams no, are. No, because the skid pad is, is streets. Oh, the, oh on we were, two. We were big willow. Well, there's seams everywhere on those tracks because they're so freaking old. Yeah. So That's right. The skid pad is on the yeah, streets. That's two right. Two on big willow is like a 180 degree big sweeper. I was yeah. in fourth gear about three-quarter throttle. That whole track is like... Uh, except for two, that whole track is pretty gnarly. To me, it looks yeah. like, if you picture it, it kind of looks like a rabbit. Yeah, it's like an upside-down bunny rabbit. Yeah, it like it's got a huge ear. That's number two. And then the rest of the body, like it's it, there. That's why it eats up tires so good is because there's not really that many. There's turn. There's turns, but they are like not really like. I'm getting funny comments. <laughs> they're not really like kicked down. And Eric wants me to call him a hero. Oh, Eric, you are the hero, my friend. <laughs> and then Ed Subius said, "Hooligan Jesus." Yes, Ed Subius, man. We've been. I've been uh, watching Ed. He's been moving around. He's been running from Detroit to here, back to Detroit. Thought he was working, gonna to get a Sioux job Falls. in Milwaukee, but now he's in Detroit all the time. Time, but he is finally out of California. So yeah. wherever he ends, he's in Detroit, Milwaukee. Yeah, sure. Yeah, that sounds about right. When the map of creative writings United States <laughs> come out, this is gonna be awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, I followed. So Brady that puts on the track day, I've, uh, he went around me and I followed him for a couple laps at the end of the day, and I was getting pretty comfortable. And it was like, was he on a CX five hundred? He was on a I think eighty seven Jigs or seven fifty, mm. but like pretty tracked out. Mm-hmm. Like those dudes are all about their like retro track mm-hmm. bikes. Oh yeah, I know. I. I've, so, uh, I love the course is coming up pretty soon and I'm yeah. stoked to uh, it's next weekend. It's 27, 26, 27, yeah, 20, 28. Yeah. 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 So is that next weekend? Yeah. That's next weekend. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not tomorrow, but a week from. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I scared the shit out of myself into just like the whole bike kind of stepped over a little bit and three quarter throttle and fourth gear is what? 80, 90. Mm. I don't know. It's RPMs, uh, miles, hours. <laughs> and then, well, yeah, I only hit second gear for two corners out there. Yeah. And it's pretty high RPMs in second. What did you, let me, let, let me guess. You hit second going into one from the straightaway? Maybe. No, that's a, that's not like a third gear. Uh, it should be a third gear corner, but I've been doing it in fourth on the duck. That way it saves me a shift and yeah. it didn't feel any slower. Where would you be going into second? Into three? Yep. Into three in the uphill. So Yeah, yeah. And the only reason I didn't stay, just go down to third on that one is because of the uphill. You're like literally wide open. Yeah, yeah. Right after three, like you get it kind of pointed and you you click wide open just for a second. You come around that. Yeah. And then I'm at the top. Up to fourth and then around five and six and then into fifth. And then it's like. Until no, get, into third, sorry. And then once I hit the back stretch, you click fourth for a second, then click fifth. Yeah. And then I'm wide open in fifth around eight. I was going to say that it's, last back part, there's turns, but they're not really turns. I'm yeah. like, you, you can pretty... Eight is insane. Yeah. And someone like, I followed a guy last time around and it, I was like, yeah, fifth gear, totally wide open. Like I was, I had my speedo on and I'm looking down and it's like a little over 120. Yeah. So this time, like I took it off before I even went to the track. Yeah. 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 You don't want to be looking down while you're uh, no. doing and I'm like, 120 I don't, plus. I don't need a tack. Yeah. Like, you can feel it. Yeah. Yeah. The duck will let you know. The valves will float and let you know that you need the shift. <laughs> Desmo valves. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. That's right. Desmo, hard to float. Yep. <laughs> from what I hear. Uh, so yeah, that sounded awesome. Um, I had a rad, uh, birthday celebration with my, uh, my old lady, so she turned 29. 
So uh, <laughs> it was awesome. And uh, yeah, I was kind of locked up here, but I still had a good time. And then uh, I wanted to give some updates. Um, we won't be saying like in this episode as, as much as possible. We'll be saying we'll substitute um in here a bunch. So that's great. I've been meaning to talk about this for quite a while in the events. But since it's, it's oh, not like a... Girl in a moto joined. Oh, She's good. She's watching us. What's up, Connie de Bartola? I think it's funny. Like we, I feel like they hear this, but they don't. They, uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> it's probably real quiet for them. Yeah, probably. I know. It sounds like two boneheads talking in a garage. We're like coming loud on the mixer here. Um, Ask her if she wants us to, if she wants to like do a little live, we'll plug her in. They can hear enough because Papa Wheelie asked, What year was the Ducati? It's an 07 Papa Wheelie. Mm -hmm. Papa Wheelie, it's an 07. I knew Papa Wheelie's friend back in high school, Papa Boner. Funny ass guy, but not as cool as Papa Wheelie. Uh, so yeah, um, oh. I, the updates that I wanted to give, this isn't a scheduled event. So like I really, sh- oh, I said, so like, so I shouldn't put it at the end of the, uh, in, in the, what's it called in like the calendar of events, but this, uh, somebody reached out to us. I think her name's Sarah, but, um, I'm not exactly sure because on Facebook there's like a crazy name, but it was Kay Sarah. Maybe that was a joke on Case Rossera. I don't know. But I think her name is sure. Sarah. And if you go to serpentbones.com, there's a rad a rural back route. Like, it's almost like, what's that What's that thing? The um, the back roads discovery route. You know, like the American back roads discovery route. They have like mid-Atlantic back roads discovery route. The trans-American back roads. Sure. It's like all this crazy shit. So you can go through Ohio and they've got these historical and rural dual sport bike hike whatever you want to do um go out there and check it out and they got like all these planned loops and all these rad little places that you can visit they got the landmarks and the breweries that are close by so that it's not all just uh well, that's important when you're out on a long ride yeah not all just riding your trans out out through the woods getting jolly there's also like a little payoff for you um so go check it out, www.serpentbones.com, and you'll, you'll find all the maps and everything. So I wanted to give that a shout-out. It actually looks pretty fun. So uh, if that connects to anywhere, to any of the other backroads, discovery routes, we should hit it. We should do the L.A., Barstow, to Vegas, to Ohio, and back on the, on backroads. I just got to do L.A. to Barstow to Vegas first. <laughs> yeah, I know. Connie said that's two more likes. Did she? Yeah, she's Damn, counting. Connie, are you, count- are you like counting or like what? We're so SoCal. I was telling Chris, I, it's like when you're an Australian. Did I say, were we recording when I was saying this? I don't remember. It's like you're when you're an Australian and somebody says something about your accent and you're like, I don't even have an accent. You know yeah. what I'm saying? It, we just say, we're the SoCal, we just say like so much that it's like part of our like vernacular, <laughs> bro. Those were intentional, by the way, Eric. Um, yeah, yeah, don't um, count those two. Yeah, um, um, don't um, count those. So uh, the Nowhere Moto Show, I wanted to thank legendary field producer uh, Brian Viffer for posting a whole bunch of Nowhere Moto Show pics to the uh, Facebook page. Him and the whole fam went out there. We talked about that last week. That was and, a Joshua tree, right? Yeah, so he uh, he threw up uh, at least 21 or 25 pics, and it looked nice. pretty, pretty rad, you know? And it made me wonder about stuff like the Slab City Riots. Did you ever go to the, or did you ever see this? Huh. Yeah. Slab City Riots, El Diablo Run, all that stuff. And oddly enough, Biltwell just posted a uh, a little thing on their blog about the Slab City Riots, and and I was remembering them. And Hippie was, Killer used to be out that way too. Yeah, you know what? Like yeah, yeah. And it was like I remember down in San Diego, it was just like a random person's garage one year. Like it, it's it's to me what it used to be before you had like. 
25 billion sponsors down on the bottom of the thing. Like it was just like, it was, it was real. It was more real to me than people just showing up somewhere and partying. You know what I mean? Like they did in the old days where you would ride in a group we, somebody would get tired and pull off the road and pop a mushroom, and then that's where we're staying. You know, like, I think that's the like that's why they do the El Diablo run every other yeah. year, and they might not even be doing it. Again. I, I think like, this year was the last year. The last yeah. year was the last year of it. Yeah, they'll probably wait and do it again in a few more years. But they, that was one like issue. They're like it got so big yeah. so quick. They're like it's not as yeah. fun. Di Bartola, hey, let's uh let's do something where like we, we just plan like a random get together and we tell like one or two people and through the grapevine, we see who shows up and we just, uh, we make it out somewhere like where you can on BLM land where you can just like road camp or whatever. We'd make the mistake of like announcing it on the podcast <laughs> yeah. and then no one would show up and we'd be yeah. like, we told every, yeah. no one, we told yeah. no one. We told all five people that listened and nobody showed up. Uh, so yeah, the nowhere moto show looked pretty cool. Ducati, not your Ducati. Your, is your Ducati for sale? Yes. It is? Holy shit. His Ducati, his Dyna, every, he's selling. It's a blowout, folks. No, Connie, it's only to buy other motorcycles with. Connie is selling a bike. Anybody? Uh, I've hit up a few friends, Willie Nelson? by the way. Not no, Willie Nelson. Okay, no, Her, uh, no. Frank and Frank N. Stein. It's a uh, CB400T. So she's That's the twin. Yeah. So she's got a 79. The F was the four. Yeah. She's got a 79 twin. Um, or the T could stand for t- thumper. You could weld the two <laughs> pistons together. But uh, yeah, so if, if you know anybody uh, looking, contact Girl on a Moto. And, but Ducati, the actual company, uh, remember those big rumors of Harley Davidson is going to buy them? They didn't I, buy them. We knew it was BS. And I, and I, you know, there's always something going on with Ducati and MV Augusta and stuff. But I just read the other day that they're actually maybe on the chopping block again because the man named Herbert Dies, the new CEO of the Volkswagen Audi Group, is considering axing uh, MAN Diesel, Rank Auto Group, and maybe Ducati. They're consolidating VW, Skoda, Seat, and uh, what's their other brand? VW, Skoda, Seat, and all their commercial fleet stuff into one group bugatti lamborghini and bentley into another group and then like they just put ducati with that group oh uh, yeah i know that's the thing you know they probably sell more ducatis than bugattis you know what i'm saying they yeah, rhyme i wonder i wonder what the profit margin is on those things though like at, <laughs> on the, at on two the, million a piece on the bugattis yeah a little bit more than the ducatis but they rhyme maybe if they just threw them in there like nobody the accounting people wouldn't know you know right so ducati may be up for sale again valued at one Point two billion or something when they were for sale the first time. Uh, however, they only sell about like thirteen thousand bikes a year, so I don't really think you're going to get one point two billion. But with the branding and the licensing and uh, and all that stuff, I guess it increases the value. So yeah, but I don't see them like jumping sales numbers up or like doubling profits. Oh, dude, they grow year like over that. year over year, but it's because they, they sell do, four more bikes. Yeah, How, when you're when you're selling thirteen thousand bikes, and that's that number is totally inaccurate. I'm just. Yeah. As an example, when you sell two more, that's huge. When you're Harley and you're selling 180,000 bikes a year, you need to really sell like 50,000 more to show uh, like a 5% increase in profits. But Ducati only needs to sell like 10 more bikes. They just need like some jabroni from LA to like blow his I just, they're not, acting I don't, paycheck. They're just not turning into like a Honda that's just going to sell oh, a no. bunch of bikes. So. No, and they never are. And they, no. I don't think they and I don't be. think they, yeah, I don't think they should. So, but- at the same time, like that's gonna make them not that 
Yeah. More, they're not going to be profitable enough to yeah. be worth that. Yeah. So I'm thinking, you remember a couple of years ago, well, I guess it was just last year. Was it 2016 or 17 when they were up for sale? Uh, I think it was last year. Corsa up in Portland put out that Kickstarter, like let's buy Ducati. You know what I'm saying? So maybe that'll be uh, f- come to fruition and be real. Maybe somebody actually will. That's a good idea. Who wants to loan me $1 billion? Yeah, $1 billion. Um, listen, when you were at the track... Who's out there riding Ducatis besides you uh, on your hooligan Ducati? I don't really know anyone. I mean, there were a few there. There was like a six something version of my bike or like same era monster. And then there was an S4R, but a Bastin. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty sick. It had Olin's and it was pretty nice. I'm going to, and he had tire warmers. Listen, next week, I'm going to have my electric guitar out here. And when you say that, I'm just going to hit like a sweet, like wailing note. Big riff. <laughs> Um, there was a 999 out there, which I really like those bikes. And then there was an old Ducati, I don't know, 80s, 70s, and that dude was ripping. Mm. Um, like on the Diana, like a 125, just out there. No, I don't think it was that small, but it was a twin still. Yeah. But no one that I like really knew, like, uh, Heath Coffrin was his scrambler. He's like scrambler racer on Instagram and he's Heath the chief on Instagram, but he, uh, so he races a scrambler, but his scrambler was all apart. So he took out his old, uh, evil June trumpet. Yeah. So yeah, there's, that's what I love about the Corsa is there's like all manner of like misfit racer out there. GT from, um, Von Zipper came out with two old pre-unit triumphs and then a Norton, I believe single cylinder. That was super old. And he's like ripping around Willow Springs on these things. Yeah, I wonder if it was the Norton was like maybe a 500 or like a 7, like one of the big, a big single. Yeah, it was a big single, but it's probably a 500. It was pretty cool. Yeah. No, there's a lot of cool bikes. There's actually quite a bit of, you know, a lot of the people race old (laughs) air-cooled two-stroke thumpers and stuff like that that just rip, you know what I mean? The, The Penton... No, not the Penton. The Benetton is one of the loudest bikes out there. I think it's a 500 twin, but that thing just rips. And uh, yeah, it's going to be rad. I think he's if if he's there again this year, it's going to be rad. There was there was a 79 CBX that was he was actually hauling ass too. Um, there was our buddy. Uh, my motorbike obsession was out there with his oh, FZ1. Yes, that's right. That's right. And then his friend was out there with a Ninja 650. There was a Suzuki RGV, I want to say, 500 V4 two-stroke. That dude was actually killing it. Well, he was a lot faster than me, but when I look at the bike he was on, he probably wasn't going that fast. Was that an RG500 Boxer? I don't Well, not, not I'm sorry, not Boxer. I think square, it was a V4. Square 4. <laughs> I think it was a V4. Okay. But it was a 500 two-stroke Zook. It yeah. was pretty rad. Yeah. I think people are asking me questions on here. Like, I can answer them during the podcast. Yeah. Go ahead. Take these questions because I got something to talk about. Oh. Uh, also in the news, I've been reading this. Well, this is an old article, but I just stumbled up across it. Um, that Harley Davidson, speaking of the man and the brand, offering $562,500. Ducati. That's what their offer is for Ducati. <laughs> the, that's what their contingency money is for this year. To oh, yeah. AFG. It's actually pretty good. Yeah. Um, and what's cool about it, so what I like about it first is it's eligible for people on XRs, too. Yeah. I was so, going to say it's 10000 bucks if you're on an XR or XG if you win. So I got 
20 bucks hoping Carver wins 10 G's next week. <laughs> That'd be a pretty but nice he got payout. What is it for third? It goes down. It doesn't list out what it is. Um, it just says 10 to win. And Yeah, in okay. this article, they're just... Uh, it's actually, it's more than Indian, but if you think about it, like Husky last year had more contingency than anyone else in the singles, but there was no one on it. Right, so we, it's we like, talked about that before. Yeah, yeah, dude, you could have said, we have $1 uh, billion, dollars. but with no one there to win it, what it doesn't matter. Yeah. So, but this year, I mean, this year they got Shana on one, so that's kind of cool. Um, yeah. Um, Indian had three hundred fifty thousand, but I mean they're winning everything anyway, so they're well. All here's that. what I don't. Okay, so here's what I dislike about the Harley. If you're a factory rider, uh, Vander Coy, Halbert, or um, Brandon Robinson, you are ineligible. And to me, that's just lame. Like I get it. But it's lame. Like, if you're going to put the contingency up, why can't your factory guys get it? Especially if you're in the situation they are right now where they're not podiuming. Yeah. Listen like, to this. It says that they are, they're offering up to 31250 per race for privateers riding those things. Yes, that's what I mean. So the three factory guys can't get it. Yeah. So it's 31000 a race. So if it's 10 to win, there's another 21000 for second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth. I mean, yeah. there's not that many bikes out there, so they'll never have to write that big of a check at one time. Yeah. And there's, you know, uh, the Indians would be in the top five or ten anyway. Yeah, plus the Kawi. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty stoked to see Kawi coming up this year. I mean, coming back. It was so funny. Well, I mean, Bauman won a race on one last year. Yeah. I think he's about the only guy really still on one because yeah. Cool Bus on an Indian. Um, JD Beach was, what was he's he on, on a, a Yamaha? Yeah, and so is Jake Johnson. Yeah, so Beach on the last round came in <clears> second <throat> at Daytona, right? not the last one, but Daytona. No, I mean of last year though. Oh, like at least yeah, yeah, he got yeah, third there, second or third. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, I mean, uh, it's not like it was like a. I, I don't expect this year to be a total sweep either, like last year was. But yeah, it's cool. All, all these contingencies and stuff. It's cool to see people stepping up and saying. You know, we've got some dough for you here too. <laughs> so that's yeah. what I what I was gonna say. I don't know with Indian whether it's only for privateers or whether yeah. the three factory guys can get it. Yeah. So I, I, I was reading this in the Milwaukee Business Journal, so they're not even gonna talk about Indian. They're like, Indian's not in this town. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so one of the questions on my Instagram live was do I like flat track or road racing better? Um so I I have a follow up question to that too. Okay. Like. Um, this is going to sound really dumb or conceited or something. I like flat track. I got into flat track cause it's cheap. <laughs> I like it cause I'm good at it. <laughs> um, honestly, what I really like better is speedway, but I sucked and I had to pay my own bills. So hooligan racing is rad and I like it. And I mean, honestly, um, hate on this all you will, but I pretty well started the resurgence of it. So, it's also like my baby, <laughs> even if it's not my favorite all the time, it's still my baby. So that's what I like about the flat track and the hooligan stuff. Um, you know, I definitely enjoy it, you know, for sure. And I like, like I grew up on dirt track, so I like that. But since I was a little kid or since I got into motorcycling, like I wanted to go road racing. Like, I don't know whether that's everyone or just me, but I remember when I was a little kid and then as I got older and I got a sport bike and watching Nikki Hayden in early 2000s, let's see, I got my first sport bike in 2002, late 2002. So like, you know, watching Nikki, watching Colin Edwards, like, get, uh, you know, 
I, I road racing, I think was just always, and even I remember before that, that's what I wanted to do. Um, <clears throat> but it was just something like that I never got into and then never really had like the funds to do. There's another like, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, there was a few. I was yeah. like, it, what's funny is like, I hear it and I'm like, shit. And yeah. it like, throws I, me I, off I didn't, for a like second. I said, I didn't hear it. For, <laughs> I, I was totally blanked out on it. Now I hear every single one. But, um, so what I'm doing right now is since I'm, racing flat track and i'm not racing road racing and even like eric and tony are like dude come out harley racing with us so here's my basic on that i race so much flat track that it is fun it is it is enjoyable but it is also stressful like i want to go win um you know you said that before too you you race enough to where now the track for you is like a relaxing it's a, yeah race. like it's, it's i mean like a relaxing practice yeah i mean don't get me wrong like i had a few butt puckers and like i push myself because that's what i do when i get on a motorcycle but um it is like a stress reliever like it's fun and i can ride hard and ride fast and like i can focus on stuff that i don't do on the dirt and it's totally different <clears throat> but it's enjoyable because it's just a fucking track day <laughs> that's yeah, it like for sure so that is definitely like part of the, the situation. I hope that answers your question. I have um, a follow up to that. Sure. Um, what would you like to road that race a Papa flat tracker? Flat tracker. You know, Elliot from uh, out at Paris said he had his road tax on Big Willow, and he's telling us how fast it was. And I'm sure it's a beast, dude. His is like a so the quote big red that um, Carver rides at Willow Flat Track, like the famous wood road tax is mm-hmm. called Big Red, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like there is a lot of the there is a few of those bikes, but there is one big red. It's like a seven oh eight. It's a big fucking wow. single. Well, Elliot worked at Wood for a long, long, long time, and he has one, and his is like a six or six fifty. Uh-huh. I'm sure it's still not a turd. He said he set a super fast single lap, you know, for a single cylinder out at Willow. Yeah, but. No, well, I mean, and you Elliot's see, rad, but I also think he exaggerates sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, you see people racing supermotos out there too. I mean, that was yeah. So what I think, so he said he did it on Dunlop flat track tires. Here's my thing with the pavement: if I don't trust my tires, yeah, I'm you not said it fast. before. Even on the street, like even in the hills, like you, if you don't trust it, you're like yeah. Not- and what's funny is like when we went through the hills and I had the moto bars on my duck, the front end felt weird, and I was like, even though I was kind of still passing a lot of people i wasn't like and i don't like the canyons like i do the track but i wasn't like just totally ripping yeah and to have flat track tires on that like i <laughs> don't i don't think i'd be down yeah even nobbies like they're just squirmy on uh yeah dude you, what if you threw you what, but what if you threw around? like i mean what if you legit <clears throat> threw uh some if it had like 17 tires on your yeah yeah i think like something like that on my sporty, I don't know. I um, it's something I wanted to try, but I might have access to Buell wheels to do it uh-huh. and a Buell front end to do it. Like I think it'd be super rad to try. I think we need to get a hold of Irwindale and do the Kings of Speed around <laughs> Just the oval on it, around the oval. Yeah, right? yeah, on flat. Get get a bunch of hooligans out there to do yeah. the Kings of Speed shit on that. That'd be fun. I think it'd be fun on my hooligan bike, but like the problem too with my hooligan bike is like the foot pegs are cattywamp. Like they're like asymmetric. They're it's I only turn left. The bars are probably crooked. Like it would need a lot of work to get like straightened out to go to the track. Yeah. But uh I think it Pamela's, would be Pamela's fun. crooked. I, she's been hit by a car, fell down how who knows how many times in the dirt. So she's she was yeah. just right for turning. It left. was like an original <laughs> idea though that that was something I wanted to be able to do on it. Just because I like doing it as much as I can on that bike. Yeah. I'm getting a message here too on Instagram. Oh, it's my wife. She says when you come into bed. <laughs> 
Um, it's not that late. It's no, no. I, I just, I just. It's nine. She's probably asleep right now. She doesn't. Uh, she doesn't text after nine. Um, the the next thing I wanted to talk about was motorcycles and misfits podcast regarding the last motorcycle on earth film. Did you? Mm-hmm. Did you get a I have heard week? that one. Yep. Yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts on art imitating life, imitating art? Um, because there's a couple points I want to make. A long time ago, when I was getting into uh, motorcycling and how great it was and why we get to lane split and all this stuff, and it's because they're more efficient uh, travelers, basically. And I read this thing from some nerd guy who we always love on the forums when like the ninja forum ninja comes in and sets everybody straight. And he's like, <laughs> actually, motorcycles are the worst polluters. They, ha- they have... Some of the worst, I mean, the whole reason is that they're more efficient, but now cars are catching up. Yeah. Um, they're I, also the hardest to integrate into safety programs. There's no, you can put ABS on them, but you, you know, the Honda's got a goal, uh, uh, airbag, but they're not, let's face it, they're not four wheels. They're not a cage. They're not, you don't stop them and they stand up. You don't let go of the bar. You, you have to manipulate them, very, for them to like, ride. For starters, they're very, very unaerodynamic. Mm-hmm. Like you. <laughs> Um, they used to claim, I don't know, my dad always told me like he had a CBX and he said it had the same coefficient of drag as a semi for its size. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And honestly okay. for its size, I totally believe yeah, it. Yeah, like yeah. look at, it's like, inline it's like doing horsepower to weight ratio. If yeah. you're going to claim that something's got a th- like that Ducati 10,000 horsepower, it's because they're so light. Yeah. Let's do the drag the same way. And it's right. And yeah. especially on a non-fairing bike. Like look at, oh, yeah. like uh, I posted a photo today of me like full tuck on top of the Ducati at Willow. And it's like, dude, I'm hanging out there. Like there's, I have a yeah. flat number plate. Like it is, I rode it, the, it's pushing a, a box through the wind. Yeah. Dude, riding to Vegas on a 250 with in a, into a headwind was, yeah. I could only do 50 because it was so strong. Coming home, I was doing like 120. <laughs> <laughs> and even on, you know, even on a 250 like that, you, what do you get for gas mileage? It's not 40 or 50 or yeah. 60. It's 35, 40, maybe it's 70. Is it that good? Yeah. My Harley but, is like in I know, but high most 20s. but most aren't like that. And yeah. and if I'm doing 80 everywhere, it's not that good. Right. If I'm doing 65 yeah. what it was meant to do, then it's good. But if I'm doing like 80 everywhere, yeah, it's yeah. right, it's not that good. And and they also don't have the emissions on the I guess the fuel injection is pretty good, but the exhaust they're not, you know. Yeah, they the have cats, like a catalyst. Even when they do have the cats, they're not as good. Yeah. And that's usually the first thing that gets binned anyway, is like yeah. the exhaust. But you know, we have oxygen sent we have all the all the oxygen stuff that we have is just to make it run a little better pre uh yeah. you know pre exhaust coming up you also pipe. have how many thousands and thousands and thousands of cars on the road every single day in southern california alone and that number for motorcycles if it is in the thousands it's probably in the one thousands yeah so and I, and the other thing i forget what episode it might have been episode three which is unavailable now to the general public but meat horse versus iron horse where i was talking about like when 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 horses were around and everyone thought they were going to die, we still have them. Do we need them? Absolutely not. We don't even use them for but anything practical. You unless do you're, unless pretty you're well, Amish. If yeah. you're Amish, yeah, you sure you need. You them. do pretty well. Only ride them in designated areas, though. Yeah, um, and, and you have to like want to own one. Where before they were just running around and you'd catch one. <laughs> I've Imagine actually the motorcycles are just sitting around and you just grab one. Oh, look field. at that one! I like it. <laughs> I've actually heard uh, from a few different sources, still doesn't mean it's true, though, that the agriculture in California, like mainly the red meat that we eat. Oh, yeah, it's horse. Is worse. And kangaroo. <laughs> Not, it's horse. 
is worse for the environment than uh <laughs> oh man than all the automobiles. Oh yeah, because it takes X amount of land to make a freaking and even all, like tomato. how much they fart and shit. Oh oh, is actually like a surprising <laughs> amount of Listen, it. Listen, yeah. there was actually uh yeah there, in California there was a thing. Uh, some sort of tax levied on dairy farmers because of the amount of methane that cows yeah. fucking fart out, you well, know? so it's... Somebody had a Volkswagen bug powered by cow farts. Actually, they so they've... A few farmers have done it, and I, for some reason it didn't catch on, but I've seen some articles where they're like... They take the cow shit, or the animal shit, really, and they, they build like a trough in the barn... And they shove it all off in there and seal it. Like it's got rubber seals on it, right? And it sits there and breaks down and makes methane and pressurizes. Yeah. And then they can heat their barn from that methane yeah. gas. Did you ever watch Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome? No. Bartertown ran on pig shit. The it, I mean, it on pig can shit. be done. Yeah. Like it, it's pretty interesting. Yeah. But of course, like no one does it, even yeah. though it's so much better. And then when it finally, like, I, one of the things like the farmer had like three or four troughs and they were like still making methane before he could empty like the first yeah, one. Right. You know, so it, I thought you were going to say like he had hoses attached to the cow's asses. So every time they farted, like, but it just got too cumbersome to have all these hoses yeah, all over the all dairy. trying to keep them routed 10, to the 10,000 hoses. To yeah. The, no, they're just like vats that you like. Well, yeah. And, it, and then when it does break down all the way, you have fertilizer. So yeah. if not, what they're doing is they're shoveling it in big piles outside, letting right. it break down. Old Charlie's out there smoking by the day. All of a sudden the fucking just half of California explodes. <laughs> um, well, the thing is, is that the motorcycle in that, in the movie that they were we're talking about um i forget what it was but it was some fancy excelsior right yeah that's what it was and i'm thinking for reals the last fucking motorcycle on earth is going to be one that hardly anybody ever touched because they don't want it that didn't attract every like if you saw an excelsior well, just abandoned you'd be like holy shit i'm grabbing that thing. it wasn't that that was the last motorcycle on earth that was like a bike he was trying to like that was the storyline of the movie to yeah. make it interesting. Like yeah. he was trying to get his grandfather or dad's bike, grandfather's bike back. Yeah. That he like remembered when he was a little it kid. It had become outlawed basically. Well, and then it like, it, well, it wasn't outlawed yet. So it like disappeared somehow, like was stolen or whatever. I mean, Aliens. the guy doing the it movie the didn't really specify. He yeah. didn't know. And so he's like trying to find this bike before it becomes outlawed. Yeah. So he can ride it like one last time before it's outlawed. Yeah, and we've been talking over the last couple of years where London, France, um, now India and Indonesia, like weird places where people depend on scooters, are they're going to start cracking down on them hardcore uh, where you have like, you know, 18 people on one scooter and they're like, dude, no more, you know, they're, they're going to start outlawing this stuff. So I, I, I almost feel like this isn't, it's real, you know what I'm I saying? Think with, like, I think it's- With uh, autonomous cars- it's coming. Like, yeah. Not that I feel like they're going to outlaw motorcycles, at least not for a while. Yeah, no. But I mean, look back. Honestly, on this, if look I back could, on this podcast to see in ten years if we are right or if we're. Well, I didn't give a definite date. Yeah. <laughs> but here's the thing, too. I think with autonomous cars, they need to be able to sense what is around them because they're not. It's not like. Hey guys, drive your regular car home on Friday. We'll see you on Monday in your new autonomous car. Yeah. Like it's not going to happen. It's going to be a slow integration. <clears throat> so as they get more and more autonomous, they're going to have to know what is around 
and have sensors and be aware of its surroundings because you're still going to have that other guy that can't afford a brand new car yet or on a motorcycle or whatever, or a pedestrian walking on the crosswalk that it can't hit. Yeah. So you need like, it, it's going to have to be aware of human driven cars still. Yeah. So there's no reason that 10 years after that, you couldn't still be on a motorcycle. And like, I'll be the first one to tell you, like I would love to hop in a little shit box lay the seat back and take a nap for 45 minutes <laughs> well, it while drives it drives to me to work <laughs> and then do the same coming home like it would be great and then i could go ride my motorcycle right. and enjoy it it's the places. shit i used to dream of as a kid because i always saw it like on the jetsons and everything but now yeah. i'm like fucking terrified of yeah. it and speaking of like um the safety okay the safety the mitigation we're trying to make everything safer nowadays and everything like more padded and everything more you know a side curtain airbag and airbag for the airbag a dash airbag and airbag for the dash airbag um you know and then now now cars are actually starting to come with those like snapshot things where they can see you driving and for a while cars have had uh who's that for a while is that uh, the h no which one? The is? third one from the left and the bottom. Oh, <laughs> I don't. It's not the individual. It's yeah, yeah, someone yeah. at the company. How funny! So um, cars are now. You know, you get that snapshot thing where the uh, insurance company knows exactly what you're doing because you plug a thing. You let them spy on your ECU. Well, now cars are starting to come. Well, cars are considering coming with that stuff. Um, in them. And as we all know with Facebook, we're just, we're so, we don't care about our privacy anymore. And the Mozilla. Well, some of the new Mercedes, they can be not controlled, but like they're pretty electronic, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, all cars basically are. And can supposedly be hacked, but. A lot of cars can be hacked. That's the whole thing with this new, like, think of how many cars come now with, um, preventative braking or whatever it's called yeah. the vehicle you know the lidars all the pedestrian detection all this stuff um and basically they can be hacked the abs can be hacked on cars nowadays because it's all like bluetooth and uh, all that stuff but but cars are actually being manufactured now with those um what's it called it's like those little ecu monitors built in and mm-hmm. they could always tell if you were in a crash they could always plug it yeah. in and pull out your last data anyway but now they can see it on the fly and report that straight to your insurance company and you get it you know but- i mean can you imagine if you go to merge on the freeway and your car is doing it for you and you look over and the cars that are cruising at the speed limit even kind of like make a gap for you and oh. you just kind of slide well, that's in how nice and even when instead I- of people just fucking it up all the right. time. Right. <laughs> Episode four, which was uh, CITS, the, from what I heard like years and years ago, I saw this demonstration of how the future could work. And that was exactly what they were saying is that intersections will no longer have stoplights. It'll just be like a server your car will tell the intersection I'm 500 feet out doing 30 miles an hour. Another car will say I'm 700 feet out doing 30 miles an hour. And there won't be a red light for you to stop and wait for it cross traffic. It'll, oh, it'll say, oh, this car is 200 feet from the other car. They're fine to go. If you're both 500 feet out and one person's doing 31 and one person's doing 32, it will slow one car or it'll send the server, will send like the signal back to the cars and say, ah, one of you slow down and one of you speed up two miles an hour. Yeah. And it'll be so scary because it looks like you're going to smash into each other, but you won't yeah. because it's like those little drones that we were talking around that fly yeah. around and don't hit each well, other. And the, the calculations that it, those that 
a regular computer do computer yeah. can oh. do in a in a millisecond is unreal compared to us. Like, yeah, it's and I don't know. I you know I'm just afraid of motorcycles being not not outlawed, but the the give a shift part about autonomous vehicles. This is starting to make sense when I'm when I'm reading stuff yeah. about what's happening in the automotive industry. It really does make sense because it, it's hard to integrate that stuff into a motorcycle. I think. Oh, absolutely. Well, I don't know. Honda's got its bike that'll stand up, but the rider, it the also, rider still has to hang on, though. Yeah. So that's the weird. Like, if it was more like a sidecar, yeah. But and I that BMW Next 100 thing, where it supposedly will drive, it will drive for you, except for you need the suit on for to know what. Well, where, what are you going to do? Like, like layer. I mean, to me, if you're not driving, you're. I don't. Maybe this is me. I can fall asleep in a car as a passenger anywhere. So what? I fell asleep driving before. <laughs> But <laughs> so what do you do? Just like lay on the tank and hope yeah. you don't fall. Like, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the issue I see with that. But I think too, in the United States, not that this is a good thing. I'm just saying this is mostly how it is. Most people, a motorcycle is a luxury. It's not their oh, yeah. daily commuter. So it's, it's very few people that like literally, yeah, that's e- even if, even have. if it is, you're such a small percent of even the people that own motorcycles, yeah. like you're even doing a small yeah. percent. And even when I was commuting every day on my motorcycle, I had a four wheel vehicle. It got driven once or twice a month, but you know, I, so it, it's even more rare that that's all they have. And a lot of those people, not all of them, but a lot of them are married and their wife has a car and they have yeah. a bike. Yeah. It's, I don't know. Yeah, and it's yeah, it's interesting that movie that their their premise of that movie made me think about the things that are coming and the things that we've been talking about over the last while, and it really started making me think about like just pay attention to what's getting put on stuff, you know, and and how we even things that don't that aren't motorcycle related like Facebook. We already have given up our privacy. So many so many thousands of people accidentally gave up their privacy. The next thing you know is that like you're going to have this tracker on your freaking vehicle and it says, "Hey, he popped a wheelie, suspend him or or you know, or you're driving here and here and here. Let's slow you down a little bit." And that's that's the whole part about riding is like you want to split lanes and haul ass, you know. Yeah. So that's why uh it just made me think. It was kind of kind of cool to actually be stimulated in that way to actually have to think about something once in a while so just sit around and look dumb look pretty all the time um so yeah that uh i'm i'm excited for that movie last motorcycle on earth i hope they get the funding and i hope it comes out and uh I, I'd, I'd check it out i think um, it'll be a good movie because it sounds like the storyline is not totally just based around motorcycles yeah like it is and it isn't it's based around Something that really could kind of happen. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's what. That's why I. I thought I'd yeah. like it. And uh, and the last motorcycle on Earth is going to be s- someone's shitty like Rebel 250 that they did, didn't want to ride, and that's why it's still around because right. has three miles on the clock. Well, and because it's a Honda Rebel 250, and, and it's, it's a just Honda, that it's reliable. like a, the cockroach of motorcycles, <laughs> right? Uh, the third thing I wanted to talk about tonight is. Tires and wheel sizes. I know you're always talking about 17s. And I was like, I swear sport bikes used to be 16, right? Like, was it 16 for the long time, longest time? And for I, a long time, I think it was 18 and 19 maybe. or 18 and 18. Maybe. Because 16 like, to me seems like we were talking about the Harleys. And I was like, man, 16 seems like such a regular size for me. But that's because I'm looking at bigger. There was a thing in like the that. early 90s with 16s on the front. Um, a CBR 900 RR, and I do not know what all years. I think all of them, but I think the bike was new in '93. I know '95, and I'm pretty sure '97 or '98 also. 
Um, they came with 16-inch front wheels. Yeah. And you can still, like, your tire selection now is small because that was really the only bike that did it, huh. which is weird for Honda to be like, yeah, let's. Yeah, because I started, I was thinking about it, and I was like, man, he's touting 17s all the time. I by swear the way, it was 16s. Yeah, if you have a CBR900RR and you want a 17, F3 wheels, bolt right on. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Good to know. Um, so I was looking back. I only looked back a couple of years. Not like I have all this free time in the world to go research this stuff. But yeah, everything was 17s. And I was like, I thought Jixers had 16s, but they had 17s at least for the last few years. And so I, was I like, would huh. say from other than the 900RR, I'd say from the early 90s up, they've all been 17s. That's so weird. Yeah. The only exceptions are the CBR 900. The Desmo Sedici had a 16.5 in the rear. Yeah, 16.5 was a weird size for a little bit. It was. And what that deal was, was I believe the, no, that, I believe what that was, was the circumference of the tire, I think was the same. The overall diameter of the tire, you got a meatier sidewall. Okay. So you had a little more sidewall flex. Yeah. I think was the idea. Um, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that was it. And then... Some GP bikes for a while were running 16 or 16.5 fronts. Mm-hmm. So Supermoto guys thought they were all geniuses and they would do the same thing. Yeah. So if you have a Supermoto, there are some Supermoto wheels floating around that are 16, I think 16s again. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was 16.5 too. And it was a front, which was weird because the Desmo Sedici was the rear. And then the Supermoto guys were all running them on the front. But the only tires I think you can get for them are slicks. Yeah. So if you have a street legal Supermoto pain in the butt i swear a lot of the uh wir guys rent, run 16s in the rear but I, you know i don't know uh, they probably all run 17s for tire choice yeah see that's the, i don't know and those sport bikes that they use all came with 17s that's what the, that's why i was thinking about it that's what got me on it so i came across this thing from sportrider.com from like years from like almost 10 years ago and it was called the size matter and they didn't really go off of, they they didn't really cover diameter because I was trying to see when it switched. Like when did it when did this switch? Because seventeen does seem to be like it was the most I popular say early nineties. Yeah, okay. no late eighties. Like the RC thirty and the eighty seven Jigsaw. Those I'm pretty sure were both seventeens front and rear. Huh. So maybe as as early as uh, before I was. Like but the VFR V fours in the mid eighties were eighteen eighteen or eighteen nineteen. Yeah. They so, might have been a 19 front. The, and and in those mid-80s, like 84, 85 with those VFRs, those were the hot race bikes for Honda. Yeah. I don't know what anyone else had, but... Yeah, and the 18s and the 19s and all that stuff, I was like, wow. I was really confused because I, just the stuff that I see at work, the stock stuff that comes on bikes too, who knows what people change it to, but the stock stuff is like definitely not what people are racing with and like yeah. what people decide to use to customize. And then for dirt trackers, I don't know when they went 19s they were 18s for they a while. were some 18s for a while and then they went 19s and then now i don't even know if anyone knows why it's just the tires are all 19s yeah i was trying to think of if it's like ro- rotating mass or if it's like gyroscopic moment you know what it what there's it definitely is. some of that there's definitely some of <sighs> It so, can't be all ty- tire choice because if you're if something's well, preferential, the tire manufacturer will right. make something. Right. So it is tire choice now, but that's not why it started. If yeah. if everyone in flat track was running 18s, yeah, yeah, then everyone would they like, would have hey, made 18s. Make it, yeah. So here's a weird theory that I heard from a guy when I was setting up my hooligan bike. You want the crank rotating pivot area of the motor to be either in line or above the axles. So maybe on a sport bike, 
because the bike's kind of lower because you're leaning it. I don't know. So maybe maybe that's why the wheels are smaller because that drops the the, yeah. the center of gravity, the crank pin or the crank pivot. Oh, okay. You can drop that also. Yeah. I don't know because if the so crank, there's a lot of physics going on. I think that's definitely part of it, but it's also part of it that I don't know and I kind of understand, but I don't know if that's the actual reason. It's just something that I heard from a dude about the flat track bike. Yeah. Because if you are rotating crank, because that's your biggest rotating yeah, mass yeah, in the yeah. bike, right? If it's below your axles, you're basically when like say you lean left, it swings right. Right. So it's a weird movement and your that centrifugal force of that thing is like fighting the bike. So you want it kind of in line with the two axles so you're just hmm. rotating it, you're not swinging it. So yeah, having a bigger rim would make the at least yeah, so raise it would it up. It'd raise the ride. In general, yeah, you without would, moving the forks or jacking up the suspension. Well, it's not about jacking up the suspension, it's about the front axle and the crank and the rear axle being in a straight line. Yeah. So like, yeah, I could lift the bike way up with little teeny wheels, but then when I lean it over, I'm swinging that yeah. crank, you know, hmm. if it's... I'll have to dig into that and uh, see. I'll, I'll do if everyone research. could see my hand signals of where it just rotates. He's karate chopping the air right now. it swings this way. Looks like he's doing, <laughs> he looks like Patrick Swayze in Roadhouse doing some sweet Tai Chi. Uh, um, but yeah, it's, that's interesting. But I, I do believe that when Desmo Sedici did it, or when, when Ducati did it on that Desmo Sedici, that the rear was the outside of the tire I think was actually the same and they wanted more sidewall. They wanted more tire yeah. height to get more tire flex, yeah. I think. And you know which also makes sense. We've talked we've talked before too about rotating mass. If you have a uh if you spin a wheel in your hand, the taller it is, the more outward right. rotating mass, the harder it is a turn. And so if you have smaller wheels and tires, it would sh- theoretically should be it's like easier quicker. to flick yeah right. the steering will be more quick and you know and- maybe on flat track because their big focus for the pros is like half miles and miles where they're doing 100 140 mile an hour it might be more stable in the corners it's more stable yeah so maybe that's why in spain for the super prestigio i don't think that's why they run 17s over there i think they run 17s because it got started by supermoto guys yeah and it was real easy to go well shit we got like all of because it's mostly road racers and they all train on supermoto now they're training more on flat track but they have supermoto bikes so it's like dude just throw yeah. some rain tires on yeah so i think that's why those are 17s but um yeah i i bet that that's that's probably part of it maybe it's more stable on those bigger tracks yeah it? which at the same time moto gp bikes are going even faster so yeah. i don't know yeah yeah I but know. they're not getting well i say they're not getting sideways they are getting sideways they, I, hell they they do they mess with their crankshafts to rotate them backwards to <laughs> Hashtag yeah. Honda to so, get them to, to get them to act differently. Like, yeah, there's a lot of physics and and geometry and and uh, yeah, black magic going on here. So, well, I'll have yeah, to dig into this. So, the thing I found on Sport Rider was talking about width and tires. And I know I've been guilty of squeezing a fat tire onto a bike before where it didn't belong, and thinking like, oh yeah, I'm going to get more meat mm-hmm. on this baby. And I see people at the flat tracks do it all the time. Got this little like four inch wheel with like an eight inch tire on well, it. On the flat track, they will run different with rims. Um, I know I run threes on mine. Carver runs mostly threes. How, how fat half? is the... Maybe they're three and a half. Fa- you know, the face, the the you know, how fat I've never is measured the, the actual tire, um, 
it's called a Big seven though. for the front and a seven and a half on the rear yeah. for width because they don't do like the one eighty, one twenty, two hundred. I bet lip, to, I bet lip to lip, like I bet it's seven across. Well, it, d- it would depend on the size rim you have. Yeah. So some of the hooligan guys are running two point ones if they're running mags. Some of them are running two and a halfs if they're running like Dyna spoke wheels. And then I run threes because I have mags. I, sorry, I said mags twice. The two point ones are the stock Harley mags. So if they're running like the sporty nine spoke or thirteen spoke mags, those are two point one. The RSD wheels and my wheels are three. And I know Carver runs mostly threes, but some of the pros will run threes, three and a halfs, um, two and a halfs. And it's all about diff- rider preference and track on how they want the tire wrapped around. And then yeah. they will, I mean, they're at the level where they have to run Dunlop. So it, it actually helps simplify their wheel selection. As, as much as I am against the way that AFT does that tire rule, um, what I was explained was if you were allowed there's like four brands of tires, right? There's Midas, there's Dunlop, there's Maxxis, and there's Shinkos. If every rider was allowed to run any four of those tires, that like tire A might work better on a two and a half inch rim and tire B might work better on a three inch rim and tire C might work better on a three and a half inch rim. So now these riders, instead of you know, having one or two or three sets of wheels, they've got six sets of wheels or seven sets of wheels, and it was actually more expensive. Yeah. However, my debate is, have you seen the price of Dunlop flat track tires? <laughs> yeah. Well, at least you're only paying for Dunlop flat track tires and not <laughs> like three other brands. Actually, so what my again. solution was for that was, one, riders are going to want sponsorships anyway, and now no one gets a tire sponsorship because you have to buy that tire anyway. Yeah. And I love the commercial when you watch AFT. So there's like a Dunlop has con. won more championships than any other. I'm like— Because it's the only one So, allowed. yeah, you've been paying longer than anyone else. And at the same time, like if they win one championship, like last year Jared Meese won a championship on Dunlops, right? Everyone else lost a championship on Dunlops. Dunlop's <laughs> Dunlop Tires has won and lost. Yeah, right. My my idea is this: so, um, barring, and I guess it would be like a special case scenario, like where a rider like picked up a sponsorship mid year. I would say if you start the season on Dunlops or you start the season on Maxis, you run every race on Maxis or yeah, every race on Dunlops. And where you're going to run into issues is like Springfield Mile or. Um, what's the P gravel one that, you know, so basically like different track services and different tire brands, like the, the Dunlops are softer. The Shinkos are quite a bit softer. They're not a ton softer than the Maxis. Sorry, the Dunlops are harder. Um, <clears throat> the Shinkos are soft. The Maxis are soft. The Midas are soft. Dunlops are like a harder casing, harder tread, but you run less PSI. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, like tire A might work good at Springfield Mile. Tire B might work good at Daytona TT. And if you're started on tire A brand, yeah, you're going to suck on the TT. But when you get to Springfield, your tire is going to work better. And then on P gravel, it's going to get chewed up if you got too soft of a. Well, and you can get harder compounds in the Shinkos and Maxis and stuff too. But yeah. So this this thing that I was talking, that I was starting to read was talking about width specifically on street tires mostly. And we all like to squeeze a fat. Some some customizers, uh, I don't know if it's this is still in vogue right now, or if it's no, if it's, it's passe cool. to it's squeeze cool a car tire on there. Remember those? Oh, like, <clears throat> like the three hundreds or like the car tires. They were supposed to be like well, they were supposed to look like Avon's, but they were legit car tires. They were like square car. You, you remember those? Like there was uh, there was a lot. But of, a lot of the car tires that I've seen are actually narrow, and 
so they're this like is, vintage car this tire is, looking, you know. Oh, uh, yeah, the Avon Speedmasters and stuff. But those still weren't very wide. I'm thinking what I hate are like the 300s and 350s, oh. like the Orange County Choppers. Yeah, well, that too. Those were These gross. might fall into this category. Well, what I do know a lot of guys do, a lot of hillbilly uh, Goldwing riders, they run a run-flat car tire because they get a lot a long wear mileage out of it. Yeah, like 80. There's like 120,000-mile uh, car tires out there. They don't last that long, but yeah. Um, and being that my dad is A, a Goldwing rider, and B, a fucking hillbilly, he has ran those, and I've ridden his Goldwing with them, and they ride fine. Yeah. They're, and I've seen them on Harleys and stuff, too, and like because they'll run 16-inch rears. So I, if you see like a dude riding cross-country on his Harley with a 16 he'll run like a car tire because you're mostly freeway miles. And it's, you think like when you corner, it's going to hit the points, but with the PSI, it doesn't do that. It it actually corners and rides just fine. Yeah. So this was, uh, an interesting point that it brought up. Um, yeah. Barring like all the crazy stuff, you know, and, and nowadays, especially a lot of bikes and cars go into development with a specific brand, size, all that stuff because of all the electronics on them and the ABS yeah. and the traction control and everything on cars especially, but even translating over now to bikes, they're tested with a certain, the, the manufacturer has a deal with the I th- tire I think maker. you hit the nail on the head on why they run a certain brand. Yeah. But that's just my opinion. Yeah. Oh, that's no. why like these never... people buy... Um, the courses, the Pirelli, the Pirelli yeah. courses, and they're super expensive. Yeah. And I'm like, most people don't need those tires. First of all, there's no. a lot better tires for most people. Like I'm running a lesser tire than that. I put Bridgestones on my RC 51 when I first moved to California and I've been super happy with them. And I have the new version of that Bridgestone on my Ducati as we speak. Yeah. And like, I really like it. I don't really think it can void your warranty. Uh, a tire choice is either. tire choice, and as long as you get the same spec, you should be all right. When, but wasn't Emma talking about that in one of the episodes too? That what do you do like vintage bikes? They don't make those tires oh, yeah. anymore. Yeah. So, and I don't know. I like I said, if you don't like a certain tire, or maybe you got a lower end or a more, a more uh, inexpensive bike, but you know you ride a lot, so you want to put better tires on it. Yeah. So I think for bikes it's a little different than cars, but at cars a lot of cars are being kind of specific. But if you notice it's higher end cars and I bet it's more like they have a deal with that tire company. Yeah. So in this article they were showing they took a 180 and a 190 and they showed them squeezed onto the same rim, which I forget exactly what the width of the rim was, but putting the the bigger profile the 190 on what was supposed to be a 180, um you think you're going to get more well, not more sidewall, but you think you're going to get more like surface area and you think you're going to get more handling. But it's what actually it, rounder. Yeah, what it does is it takes out that nice peak mm-hmm. and it makes it more round because rubber flexes and displaces itself in interesting ways. And especially when you start to squeeze, the sidewall's rigid because on motorcycles, if you get a flat, it can't flop around. It can't right. go down and flop. So they make the sidewall super hard so that if you do get a flat, it'll run. Motorcycles kind of have run flats, you know, by default. Just They'll because tell it's you so too, stiff. <clears throat> on their website when you're buying tires, like I know you're talking 180s, 190s is like sport bike, sport bike, like 17s. Yeah, and that doesn't seem like a huge difference. It's millimeters, so it's 10 right. millimeters. But they showed up, they took pictures of the same tire mounted, and the profile was yeah. drastically different. It not only lowered the ride height of the bike, but it made the handling sloppy because now instead of having a nice, uh, like, parabolic should have raised it huh 
Because instead of being like kind of nice and flat, it was like round. No, it it actually it actually um, the wider tire when they put it on the wheel, it squeezed it out, and so the right. the tire can't get higher because it. Oh yeah, that's true. The center has, has that band; it's not yeah, going to get ta- it, taller. It can you can only. You, the rubber can't go you can't stretch it out it's not like metal where you can like right. thin it and stretch the thing it it's this tall and if you stretch it it has to go somewhere like it, yeah. you, you can't do this it does it. Make, it makes like a weird shape with them yeah it made it like totally like a parabolic arch it didn't mm-hmm. it didn't have like that nice peak like the 180 was like the spec tire that was supposed to be on there did so that the patch looked bigger but it was almost like having squared off freeway tires now yeah. so the turn in was was supposedly you have better um you know better turning and a bigger patch but what happened was when you're in a corner and you have a nice peak this whole side is touching but when they put that fatter tire and it's rounder, only a little bit. Contact, yeah, you actually contact, got less yeah. contact patch. When you're in corners, you lowered the ride height and you didn't, it was sluggish steering because you didn't have that peak now that you're flipping. So I was like, that is so crazy. Yeah. And I couldn't find anything on why bikes went to 17s, but I could find why to put, if you have a 17, why yeah. now I'm understanding why all these bikes have the same freaking tire ratio. You it know? also, as you go wider, when you lean over, it puts a weird angle to the bike. Yeah. Like you don't lean straight. You lean with the backs yeah. kind of kicked up. Yeah. So it makes it turn in different. I mean, in, if you talk to guys at the track and you're going to a pavement track, like they're all going to talk about, oh, I like Dunlops because they turn in better. Or I like Michelin's because they feel better here. And it's the profile of the tires, what they're talking yeah. about. 90% of them have absolutely no fucking idea what they're talking yeah. about. <laughs> you know why I like Bridgestones? Because I put them on and they stuck to the fucking ground. Yeah. And I've never had an issue with them. <laughs> so, And I've never, like, I don't have money to, I'm not going to try something. And I had bad luck a long, long, long time ago with Dunlops. So yeah. I don't like Dunlop sport bike tires. And I know a lot of people are going to hate that I say that because they fucking love them. But I had like a couple issues long, like 15 years ago. And I know they're totally different and the technologies came yeah, a yeah, long yeah. way. And I tires aren't even running. And I anymore. also, well, and I also wasn't buying like brand new, brand new Dunlops back then. I was like race takeoffs and shit like yeah. that. But I just because of some of those things i don't really like dunlops yeah so listen dude i i I have kendas and i'm convinced that they're made out of soap chips and recycled (laughs) pencil erasers like actually what's funny is on odd size stuff like kendas and chinkos have some better tires than anyone else it's kind of like well and i like i run chinkos on my flat track bike yeah i use kendas for mountain biking and i love them and they're so good like, mountain oh, bike yeah tires. and so it's was, funny because like kendas and maxis are good mountain bike tires yeah they're shitty sport bike tires yeah. <laughs> but on the flat track side they're they're really nice tires maxis and and uh shinko's both yeah yeah it's interesting yeah um so yeah we'll i'll, I'll try to dig up why why certain bikes need i'm gonna look up that crank pin thing too i'm gonna i'm gonna try and and dig deep and see if i can find out why that's going on for another episode of the turd hole are you ready to to grease your gunge and uh, slide into the turd hole this week i have a little rad surprise chris doesn't know what's in store right now i've i've completely gone i stayed up so late i I thought i was gonna fall asleep if i actually do fall asleep just flip (laughs) the computer around and start reading okay because i stayed up late i'll probably be asleep before (laughs) this is gonna be so boring i'm just scared because we're in this studio together and we're about to jump in the turd hole yeah i need some scary music some like crazy twilight zone music (laughs) so the turd hole this week what does marlon perkins the yeti 
and a creative writing bike challenge have in common? Sit back and find out on this week's Turd Hole. They've all never been seen. <laughs> yeah, right. So let's jump back in time here. I'm, I'm going to go, we're, we're going to go deep on this Turd Hole. <laughs> Man, we got to think of a new name. Let's go down to the fishing hole. Let's, <laughs> we'll go to the motorbike history hole. Um, so listen, R. Marlon Perkins, born in 1905 in Carthage, Missouri, not the Carthage, Carthaginia. He was fascinated with animals as a child. You may be asking yourself what this has to do with motorcycles, but as in the turd hole, what does anything have to do with anything until the end, right? Until it all comes out the poop chute at the end. <laughs> so listen, this guy, his name's uh, Richard, I think, Richard Marlon Perkins. He's fascinated with animals. He's born in 1905. He became a laborer at the St. Louis uh, Zoological Park in the 20s. And he climbed the ladder to become the reptile curator by 1928, which is probably like the same year Walt Disney drew Mickey Mouse. Five years earlier in 1915, you can tell my math is good. What's five years earlier than 1928? I realized this after I wrote this last night. 1923? (laughs) So my math may be slightly. Maybe now I understand why I think I'm 136 years old. Um, Five years earlier in 1915, which is more like almost 10 years earlier, a man named Charlie Fane was born here in California in San Bernardino. Now, Charles, he wasn't as fascinated with animals as Marlon Perkins was, but he did own a turkey ranch in adulthood, which we'll talk about a little bit later. So both Charles and Marlon were pretty colorful characters. Uh, Marlon I didn't write this down, but he was bitten by all sorts of venomous snakes throughout the years. Over, <laughs> he's bitten by rattlesnakes, gaboon, vipers, fucking cobras, all this crazy shit. Um, but Marlon was a hardworking animal nerd, while Charles was like a tinkerer, an inventor, and a serial entrepreneur. And neither one was college educated. That's what I love about the greatest people in this country is most of them like didn't make it past third grade, right? So tra- Marlon dropped true. dropped out in eighth grade, and like maybe did a little bit of college later in life and Charles only had his high school diploma but both men were self-made and very successful and I'm wondering if you know who they are here pretty soon so in the 1930s Marlon Perkins moved to Buffalo New York and he was eventually promoted to director of the zoological park there and he stayed on until 1944 when he moved to Illinois where we know some of the best flat trackers come from and uh, took on the role of director at the Lincoln Park Zoo in Chicago. And I'm sure Lincoln Park is where that stupid band got their name. Um, hashtag not in the 20s or 40s. Um, during that same time, Charles, who is, what I say, 15 years younger, <laughs> 10 years younger, um, he had not stepped foot outside San Bernardino. And uh, if you're familiar with Sam Berdu, like the Hells Angels and all sorts of bike clubs originated here. But this dude, he just tinkered around the family house. He started riding motorcycles at a super young age. And despite being uncommon in the 20s, like we're talking about the 20s and 30s, there wasn't a hell of a whole lot of dealerships around selling motorbikes. So this dude found one and was super good at it. Um, by the time he was a you know young kid, but it faded toward the end of the 1930s, and instead he preferred to tinker with motorcycles and old cars and anything that people would leave on the farm. He almost burned down their barn, I think, one time playing around with gas, trying to clean parts with gasoline. Yeah, he almost burned down the garage. So this dude was one of those guys that like you know one guy's an animal nerd and totally nerds out and gets bitten by all sorts of snakes because he's one of those nerds that likes to hold snakes all the time. And the other dude's a nerd that's like a tweaker where he gets this perfectly good bike or car and then has to tear it apart to see how it works and then like puts it back together tries to put it back together 
So Marlon Perkins was dedicated to animals and conservation. And to this day, I'm sure there's some society out there with his name on it that's uh, saving freaking butterflies somewhere. He served super long terms at the zoos where he was employed. Like he stayed at them for like, you know, 10, 15, 20 years. Where Fane, on the other hand, he was an entrepreneur and a free spirit when it came to making a living. And he would make these fortunes and then lose them. And he never really knew where his next buck was coming from. But he always had, he was rich. You know, he always had something on the back burner so that one thing that both men did have in common was their sense of adventure and uh two years before returning to the st louis uh zoo in 1962 marlon perkins joined sir edmund hillary does that name sound familiar on his expedition to the himalayas so 1960 sir edmund hillary goes to the himalayas in search of the yeti and Marlon Perkins was the zoologist that he he was kind of getting famous at that time. So he went with with Hillary to find the Yeti. And um, a couple like a couple years later, after that, in 1963, he landed a gig as the host of Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. Mm. Do you remember that show at all when you were a, a kid? A little bit. Yeah, I mean, I remember Mutual of Omaha. Yeah, that was yeah. If you remember that part of it, Wild yeah. Kingdom, and he was like that old guy uh, who looked like every other old dude out there humping hippos and stuff. So Charles Fane, who'd been, his thing with animals is that he was super proficient in taxidermy as a kid. So one guy loved animals, the other guy loved stuffing them. Uh, he ended up owning a turkey ranch, a few small horse ranches around San Bernardino, and he also owns a gold mine and a freaking airport, and he did contract work for the military out at Norton Air Force Base and all this stuff. And just about the same time that Marlon Perkins was busy becoming the 1960s jazz version of Steve Irwin, Crocodile Hunter, or Crocodile, whatever Steve Irwin was, Croc Hunter. Um, Fane took up tinkering and inventing a motorcycle that still farts its way across the American landscape to this very day. 1963, what? Do you know any motorcycles that popped up? American motorcycle, by the way, too. No. I love that Harley and Victory and Indian were made here. I love that all the electrics that we talked about are made here. Like if you buy a, one of those bikes, you're buying American. Maybe not Harley so much because they're important from India, but everything else made here. This bike made here. Even though, well, I'll get to it in a second. So sometime in the late 60s, Marlon Perkins and co-host Jim Fowler could be seen riding around on set in Kenya on one of Fane's motorcycles during filming for the Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. And that motorcycle was the Trailbreaker. Ever hear of it? No. Okay, the story goes a little bit like this. We're going to back up even further. In 1958, Charles Fane, this crazy dude, had all sorts of friends and investors practically beaten down his doors. He had local businessmen, the go- you know, the government, the gold miners, the turkey ranchers, um, relatives. Everybody wanted a piece of him because he was such a crazy entrepreneur. He had all these ideas. He was a tinkerer. He knew how things worked. Um, and he was good at what he did. Any Anytime he had an idea, he was good at making it come to life. So all these people were constantly trying to invest in his ideas. This dude um, had bought, no, bought, no, grew a whole bunch of watermelons and drove up to Alaska. Because he's like, you know what they don't have in Alaska? Watermelons. And he would pick them along the way or buy them along the way and sell a little bit here and there to finance his way up to Alaska. And what he had left when he got to Alaska, he made bank on. Just one of his crazy ideas. Another idea was he went to China and he made some crazy movie with like 
he he only paid one actor. They had like a million dollars. They paid this one actor from the sixties or something. Everybody else was local Chinese people. And when they did the stunts, they would really punch the people and stuff. It was crazy. Like they, they wanted to be movie stars so bad. They would let this like one B movie actor punch him. And so that flopped, but the watermelon in Alaska idea like blew up. Like it's so crazy what this guy was hit or miss with. So everybody wanted a piece of this guy, but as soon as he said he's going to start inventing a motorcycle, everyone disappeared. They're like, dude, for reals, like you couldn't, this is the stupidest idea you've ever had. This is what year? Uh, 60s? 58. So it's like right after Indian went under too. Yeah, oh yeah, right. Okay, so there you have it. Like we have like most companies are out of business by now except you for Harley. Pretty well only have Harley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe people were like, dude, uh, and, and, and motocross came around 71. So we didn't have, you know, all this great, influx now of Japanese bikes coming in anymore. It was, it was like in this lull, right? And yeah, it was, it was about a decade post-war. So, I mean, there was really like, this did kind of seem like a stupid idea. So anyway, the 58 was the year that he started developing this motorcycle. And coincidentally, it's also the year that all his friends like just had to wash their hair or lost their checkbooks or whatever it was. Anytime he went to ask somebody, they're like, uh, my turkey farm needs some more feed. I got to pay for that. In other words, he was basically on his own to, to develop this thing. So he filed patents for the Trailbreaker in 1959 and 1962. He abandoned both of those patents and the third filing in 1963 was for a motorcycle having two driven wheels I don't and it, remember it called the Trailbreaker. What's the like chain drive front and rear thing that uh, Tor has one? CC. Uh huh. Uh-huh. I don't well, remember it being called the Trailbreaker. Though. Yeah. So finally, one of in the the patent that he filed in '63 got accepted, but it didn't get like passed until '66. So so three years it's in. And the time between filing that and abandoning all the other ones, he was able to gain the interest of this guy named JB Nethercut. Now Nethercut had a cosmetics company of all things, and you're like, well, how do turkey farmers and cosmeticians and freaking some animal oh. nerd? Yeah, it is the same one Tor has. Though. Yeah. Okay. Don't. Yeah. Don't spoil it. Okay. <laughs> I see that you you're over there sneaking on your phone looking at pictures of birthday cakes again. Yeah. And and now this motorcycle. So this guy that owned a cosmetics company gets with this turkey slash gold mine owner and possibly the host of Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. And he says, hey, I formed this industrial corporation, corporation, or you, or you could call it corporatization, whatever you want. And I'm going to fold these bikes into this product line, into the like processing and stuff. So I'm making, I'm making cosmetics and two wheel drive motorcycles out of my little factory. We're going to move you though, from San Bernardino over here to Silmar, which Silmar is in like San Fernando Valley. That's where like all the pornos filmed now, but back in the day, cosmetics and two wheel drive motorcycles were all the way. So it's all the way across San Gabriel Valley from San Bernardino. So I don't know if, um, you know, I don't know if Fane came over here with them or not, or just like said, okay. But before we get too far into the nether cuts, like super brief ownership of the Trailbreaker, we'll talk about some of the features this thing had. Uh, Tor Drake owns one, so he could tell you all about it. He does have one. It's a two-wheel drive motorcycle. It features... I knew it track- by, the f- by the first name, though. Yeah, That's okay. what threw me off. As soon as I saw it, I was like, okay, yeah. it was the right one. So this Trailbreaker had, uh, has tractor-like tires. The wheels are super wide. They're hollow. You can either leave them empty so that it can float. You can float it across streams and rivers if you need to. Or it can hold up to five, four and a half gallons of fuel in the tires or water, whatever. You, if you want to drink water out of the tires, whatever. Lotion, maybe you're going sun tanning, who knows. But um, Can you imagine like you have 10 gallons of gasoline in your <laughs> wheel? 
hills. <laughs> yeah. And you ride on the road and it gets all hot, you know? Uh, so it's got a override clutch, um, which is really weird. It's like the way that the drive gets to the front from the rear is this real, really interesting thing. It had a fluid, they started out with fluid drives. They leaked really bad. So they went to this other thing. Um, which was the override spring, and it was just basically a couple of half, like half shafts with bearings and like a spring that drove the front and it let the front wheel turn a little bit faster than the rear so that you could turn corners, actually. And nowadays, we'll get into this a little bit, but nowadays when you turn it all the way lock to lock, it disengages the front so that you don't have, uh, basically like you don't have the front wheel turning slower than the back and you just like f- dig yourself into the ground. But most of the early versions had this hydrostatic drivetrain, which is a fluid drivetrain. Um, and if you know Christini, which makes modern, very beautiful two-wheel drive bikes, you'll know I think they, bikes u- are rad. Yeah, I think they use hydrostatic drives on those. So there was a few models this made. This is like a bevel gear, I think, isn't it? Like a chain yeah. bevel up the frame. It's got a miter box. with a, Yeah, it's got like a little drive. What's rad about his is they're not a um, 50, 50 split. It's like the front's always kind of turning, but it's not actually pulling until the rear slips. It's like a, like 90% speed. You can change it, I believe actually. But, um, when the rear is spinning, like you lose traction in the rear, then the front basically pulls. On the Christinis? Yeah. I think it'd be a bitch and flat track bike. Yeah. The Christinis, I think too, they have, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. They probably wouldn't allow, I mean. And I think there's, I think there's a lock button where you can lock the valve to let it be two wheel drive, like going up hills or something like that. But, um, well, if it's the way I'm thinking, there's like a gear ratio. So you would never have it like, yeah, you could lock it, but it, and it would, turn but it's a reduced speed in the front yeah it's like a yeah and it would be like a viscous like a like a subaru where it doesn't it's not always like you're saying one can always turn different than the other until it locks up i think it's i think it's like a freewheel and a gear let's do an episode on christini sure i had a buddy that when i worked for roland that built one um, he made like a little road racer, like Roland was doing those 450 super singles. So he got with Christianini right. and did one and it was kind of cool. And, but he said for road racing on a single though, it, it didn't really matter. It didn't really do anything. Yeah. Cause it's not like he was blowing the rear end away a yeah. lot on that. I mean, he drag racing, he just like <laughs> drag racing. He's like, yeah, dude, I pill like a, but it, he, um, burnout. the downside was for those bikes, they were trying to change the triple trees to get him to handle better and he couldn't because he had to run the dirt bike stuff. So he had it yeah. lowered and stuff. And actually if there was an episode of uh nitro circus, mm. the show with Roland in it, um, there's some cool stuff I made in there too. But then, uh, I think the girl that was on the show is doing a burnout, a front wheel burnout on yeah, the bike. That rad. was the bike. Yeah. Yeah. Christine, I've seen him do it. I've seen him ripping through the dunes, like for Dakar and stuff. I don't know if yeah. they're rally legal, but it looked like it was a rally bike and it was so rad just watching sand kick up off of two tires. Yeah. So when you can do like the Texas, like last man. Oh whatever, yeah. Yeah. Like you can do some of those on them. I seen a I seen a two wheel drive bike do the King of Hammers once some like recently. Yeah, I don't know. It might have been a Christine. You might be able to. Yeah. yeah. I, I bet it probably was. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Guess it was bicycles. Oh no shit! Yeah, two wheel drive. Yeah, rad. So right, check that. Let's do, let's do an episode. A little bit, you can... Let's do a turd hole on Christini's. <laughs> um, so this thing, this not Christini, this very no. uncomplicated bike. Um, 
had a Mako. Are you familiar with Mako motors? Uh, uh, if you Mako, Braco made a tin, ride them out and push them in. That was like the old rad thing for people that rode Mako, vintage like motocross. But Mako was like a famous German. It's like the exact same one I always heard for Harley Davidson. Really? <laughs> <laughs> the Mako's... Uh, I used to see a lot of them at vintage motocross. They were like air-cooled singles. Yeah, yeah. Um, JLO was another, I think they were German too. Oh. They made Panthers and Wasn't stuff like that. Wasn't the motor had more like a flathead Briggs and Stratton style motor? Uh, they're not very fast. No, no, no. And they're only, some of, depending on what motor you had, like I think the JLOs or the West Bend, which was a go-kart engine basically. The, yeah. West, uh, uh, the West Bend was probably like a Briggs and Stratton or yeah. like Northern Tool generic flathead pancake you know air-cooled motor and they had no suspension <laughs> no the makos and the jlos were a little bit better built but the thing was these things were also these were trail bikes when trail bikes didn't exist yet the right. honda trail 70s and stuff hadn't come in yet well the even CT if they 90s. did it, it wasn't like for a groom trail like that it oh. was for like making your own trail yeah there were a couple let's say trail bikes but none of them like the trail breaker that could actually go anywhere and charles fain would actually drive the prototype he had an old el camino like 1960 58 el camino or whatever he would drop the bed he would ride this thing up it through the bed and up onto the like this thing would climb vertically it can climb vertically as tall as the bike is you know what i'm saying so he would like climb vertical stuff with this thing do all sorts of crazy stuff but probably like four miles an hour i mean the gear ratio on this thing they had three speed automatics that were made by air Air airbion or something like that or abion from or albion from england they're real similar have you seen that like youtube video that russian fold up yeah. It's real well, this s- is the funny thing is that it, it is an American built bike, but it does, it does look like a Russian. I have that down here right here. Let's get to it. The 1963 trail breakers could be bought in kit form and assembled or through distributors. And one of the top distributors in America was a guy, well, they were only in America, but it was a dude named Orla Larson. And Larson owned a ski lodge in Vermont called On the Rocks. So he started a distribution company and he needed to give it a cool name. So he called it Rock On. And then when people saw the name written down, they pronounced it Rokon. And that's how Rokon got its name. It should probably actually be pronounced Rock On because he named it after On the Rocks. But when people see R-O-K-O-N, it looks Russian. The freaking bike yeah, looks Russian. Yeah, I always Russian. knew it by the Rokon. Yeah. So um, the Rokon Trailbreaker. So, so the Rokon was actually the distribution company, not the manufacturer? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And so... Uh, Did he really have a manufacturer name? Well, he was a, he, he was distributing the trailbreakers. Trail yeah, but the guy that made them as under Rokon or Rockon um, distribution. Rockon was his distribution company, right? That his ski lodge was under, and the so bikes he called under, them. That like was his company name. The Rokon's what I ever always heard. So the Rokon trailbreaker. Trail yeah. But it was like Rokon, tra- and even when I looked it up, Rokon came up first. Yeah. So like the older models before he picked them up. He's just a distributor at this point, right. distributing trailbreakers. So that's what I mean. Did the bike have like a first name, like the a trailbreaker, Goldwing? It was just it's the trailbreaker. trailbreaker. Yeah. Okay. And uh, it looks like a Russian built. Why they failed is he didn't know about branding. Yeah. So it basically <laughs> it does look like it's repurposed Russian farm equipment, basically. And so I always thought it was Russian, you know, when I saw R O K O N. But it turns out it's because uh, Ola Larson. He was the number one. He was so enthusiastic about these bikes, and probably because he had a ski lodge and he used these things around like utility vehicles. This is back before side by sides, and a real trail bike couldn't do 
what a tractor could do. You know what I'm saying? Like couldn't ride up vertical stuff unless you're on a trials bike, but then you're not being able to pull stuff. So these things had some crazy, uh, like farm utilitarian, um, you know, not only do they have the accessories and stuff like that, but that was the the use of them. They were 98 cc's all the way up to like 234, depending on what motor they had in them. And three-speed tranny later went to clutchless. So a year later, the Nethercuts decided that their business of motorcycles, they don't know what they're doing. They're going to focus on the cosmetics. So they offered it to Larson. So he got the Trailbreaker operation in January of 64, uh, the rest of the Nethercuts sold the Trailbreakers as Nethercut Trailbreakers here in California, and he took it. And then in '65, he's he's got all the factory equipment back to um, Vermont where he was. Um, he re- he refined them. He got a dealer network going, and he made some changes to the design, like dropping the leaky hydrostatic drive, putting in a centrifugal clutch. Um, basically, he made a Mark III, you know, because they yeah. had the first couple ones and he's marketed them as Rocon. And so that's when he when it started. Mm. Well Rock On. But um over the years people have have uh been saying Rocon so long that I think that that's what people know him as now. Um according to Rocon's website, the nineteen sixty six Trailbreaker was the first production motorcycle with a disc brake. So they had a disc brake, an automatic two wheel drive I mean, for 1966, this and is the like, wheels do look crazy. They're like solid aluminum disc, but they're like straight wide. Yeah, they are eight. I think eight and a half inch wide. Yeah, aluminum. Fill them with gas and silly putty or whatever the hell you're gonna put in them for because you could you could weigh them down for ballast. That was what it was. You yeah. could put gas in there for ballast or float it across the pond. Um, what's that like hydro hydroplaning? Like when you ride your bike faster, I bet you could just do it at like three miles an hour on those things. So how you would need like airbags on your shoes. Oh yeah. Styrofoam. Styrofoam. So how, uh, how long did they make them? Well, they still make them. Oh yeah. So through 1968 and 69, they refined them. Um, another investor named Nick Harris came on board and they hired some more executive personnel to try and actually get it off the ground. Because 68 and 69, what else is happening? I mean, this is like when the CB750 yeah. is... I mean, we, we have like the Japanese bikes coming in hardcore trail bikes. And dirt bikes haven't quite made it because motocross really came over here from Europe in like 71. So we're still a couple years away from motocross but we already have like trials and and trail riding is starting to get popular i'm not sure what you're the the monkey and the ct 70 90 and 100 and 110 or whatever they were came out but i think it was right around that year it's so much more like a utilitarian yeah it's like a tractor really yeah basically and i you know i see them they have like cool uh like shovel mounts and rakes and stuff so you can go do like trail maintenance oh dude it gets hardcore and in 69 they moved the factory to new hampshire because you know it's like super different than vermont (laughs) like i don't i honestly don't know the difference i think they're like right next door to each other on the uh like i said creative writing app pretty close gonna, gonna be pretty rad in 1970 they started introducing different models to compete with honda's trails and the monkey bikes and the trail market started to heat up and all these Japanese manufacturers start swooping in on Rokon's turf. And another swoop that year was that Harris, the, the new investor guy, he took over woo, he took over majority control of the company and he wanted to get into racing. And in 71, he set out with plans to get into racing because, of course, 71 is the year that motocross hit America hard. 
Um, the RT340 was an enduro bike that was developed in May and actually raced in September. Like that's a super fast develop, like from development to rate to winning a race. It won an AMA event in September and it was like the only segment, the enduro segment was the only one not dominated by the Japanese. I mean, the Japanese just came in like sport bikes that year, you know, 69, 70 with the CBs and the Z1s, you know, like shit. It was just crazy. And then all the motocross bikes that people were winning on in Europe and stuff like that and all the Japs get into it. And it's like, yeah, every everything was dominated by the Japanese except this crazy enduro uh, segment. So the Rokon uh, 340s came in. Now, the interesting thing about Rokons is they were all automatic, and they still are. Um, so it was, it'd be kind of interesting to see dudes ripping around on these automatics. But here, I printed out some, some of the 340s. It's a legit dirt bike slash trail enduro because you had to have a headlight for enduro. And do they still make these? They don't, but don't they look good. tits? You don't think you say good? <laughs> um, I mean, they look tits for well, for it's nineteen sixty nine, nineteen seventy. Yeah, they look cool for that, I guess. Um, basically, the it's got some of the snowflake wheels that all the chopper guys want. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That's the other thing too is that they made a bike of, that you might dig that I'll get into in one second. But the budget and development costs through nineteen just nineteen seventy one alone. Um, Harris quickly saw the writing on the wall for this whole racing thing. I mean, literally developed in May and won in September, and it had already cost them two hundred sixty thousand bucks, and that's in nineteen seventy one money, and they had only sold like hundred bikes. So I mean, there's no way, even by today's standards, two hundred sixty thousand dollars with a hundred bikes, like you can't make that up. You know what I'm saying? Like that is extremely. Is that twenty six hundred dollars a bike? Maybe you could make that up. My math is so not good. But at any way, at any rate, he bailed. And he's like, dude, investors don't invest backwards like this. So a new investor named E.R. Hampson came in. Um, luckily, all the all the guys stayed on, including Orla Lawson, who was the original distributor. One of the racers um, that raced, the, the, I guess the guy that won that AMA event, he stayed on as like a, a executive. And the three RT340 was alive, but it was bringing Rokon down super quick. Um, and 1973 saw they they boosted the lineup. They had the RT340 line. The Trailbreaker was still turning around, climbing rocks and like pulling stumps out at like two miles an hour. But the RT340 had expanded to include street legal bikes, motocross and GP bikes, a flat tracker which was called the FT340. Which if you look at it, it, lo- it actually looks pretty rad. But could you imagine like an automatic flat tracker? Like all these are automatic. You know what I'm saying? Like that's the one thing that all Rokons had is that they were automatics. I mean, really with the recluse now uh, yeah pretty much every, everything yeah point taken um but yeah like the, it, oh even people were building like road racers out of them it's like automatic road racers so dude it was crazy these two-stroke you know automatic bikes just whipping hopefully whipping ass i don't know how good they did actually but 1974 saw giant changes in the two-wheel drive lineup because the Trailbreaker was joined by the scout and the ranger and the pioneer and these were like totally redesigned. They had leading, these are the first bikes with leading link front suspension, just like your Speedway, Speedway bike. bike has. And not Earl's. Earl's suspensions had the pivot behind the front wheel. These had them like just behind the, the axle um, pivot. But the leading link was invented in 1975 and they're still on them today. In 1978, Rokon. I don't went, think the leading link works really well with brakes. 
I don't know. Well, th- that's the thing. There's there's a couple break upgrades that have been made over uh, the years okay. too. But Rokon with Eric Buell on us in 1978, bro. They fell into receivership <laughs> and uh, go, by going broke, and that's what happens when you go balls out into a, a market dominated by cheap Japanese <laughs> imports. Because like in 78, the Japanese were Harley was uh, accusing them of what's that called when you dump like dumping your uh, your imports here at a cheaper price. You flood the market. Is it dumping? Is that what they call it? Industrial dumping? But um, anyway, sure. this dude named Robert Corpy and uh, another dude named Richard Namella bought Rokon in 81 and started to reassemble the pieces under the name Rokon Limited. And basically what they did is they tracked down all the old dies and tools and all the old shop equipment and all the old shit they got. Just like how Buell has had to sell his shit through receivership. Who knows who bought the laves and the die? You know, who, who knows who bought all that stuff? These dudes actually tracked down the whole factory piece by piece and bought it all back and revived some old, you know, called up some dealers and were like, hey, remember those bikes that used to sell that were kind of cool? Let's do it again. So they got some previous dealers to get in on the deal and uh, start getting this dealer network back up and, and reviving Rokon. Now through the 80s, uh, Namela split and went overseas. And like, if you go back to our episode on, on uh, the EPA, Richard Nixon developed the EPA uh, in the 70s with the Clean Air Act and when Earth Day started. But he was also the first Republican, well, first American president to see value in China as a manufacturing, uh, as offshoring. So this is the year, like in the early 80s, just like eight years after Nixon was like, hey, China's got some cheap labor. This dude takes the Rokons over to China and starts the first wave of giving them our technology and information and patents. And so the Ranger International Company was made like Rokon knockoffs. And the other dude uh, didn't want to go to China. I mean, if you go to China, you want like Gucci handbags or Hunter rain boots. You don't want an already shitty motorcycle, right? Like even shittier. So, you know, you don't... I don't know how good, I think they went out of business immediately, even, even for China. Um, and they don't, they don't even know how many were produced. They think less than a hundred. So if you go to copy a Rokon, like copy Ducati, maybe like the Razkill and all that stuff, copy a Rokon. Yeah. You're, you're stupider than you look. But, um, I, I wrote something stupid here that, you know, who knows how many copycat Rokons are out there somewhere on an East Asian hillside, <laughs> not far from the body of the guy who flew off when the two-wheel drive grenaded, like on a hill climb or something. So if you can still get them, you, can you only get them as kits? No. Um, Corpy sold it in 91, uh, sold Rokon Limited to Tom Blyce, who bounced the company all around New Hampshire. They stayed in New Hampshire, but... At least it's still in America. It's still American made. In 1994, they got hydraulic brakes and Honda engines. Mm. First four strokes. 1994, dude. The first four strokes. Like they'd been two stroke up to this point. Well, they were just such a like small compact yeah. motor. It makes sense. And they still only are like 230 cc or something like that. They're not, and they only do like. I wonder if it's like the CRF 230 motor. Or- it could be, maybe. And they only do like. 30 or 40 miles an hour. You got two chain drives on gigantic Yeah, they're not wheels, meant to go fast. And they're 12-inch wheels, too. So, I mean, even at, like, 10,000 RPM, they're only spinning. They're, they're 8 inches wide. They're 8 inches wide, 12 inches. Yeah, they're, they're like the, uh, yeah. the world's craziest pizza. And but you have no suspension. 
So, you have a leading link suspension. Oh, that's right. Awesome. <laughs> so your front, I you were talking about the, the front, dirt the part where you're not even sitting on has a little Are bit. Are you sure of the two wheel drive has suspension? Yeah, yeah, that that's what has the leading link on it. Because the two wheel drive ones that I saw, one they were rigid, but the drive is like sitting on top, kind of on the front fender, and the chain goes down. Like you would have to move the drive with the wheel. Yeah. I think that's how they got the spring overdrive clutch to work with it. Okay. It works on a flexible spring. Some guys, if you go on roconworld.com, all these old timers have these hacks for them where you can use a Bendix from a starter to drive the front and that way it can flex better than like the spring overdrive did and yeah, it's really interesting how they got Yeah. cuz once you stop the f- and you only did need one brake. Did you say roconworld.com? Roconworld.com, <laughs> dude. It's like it's real and it's pages and pages. That's where I got most of the Oh, I'm sure there's a lot yeah, of pages. Yeah. That's where I got most of the history from the Charlie Fane guy that started it all was that they just had like all this shit about how crazy he was. There, so if I, I want to go buy one now, I can buy them complete. Can dude, I still buy a kit also? Listen listen to this. I don't know if you can buy a kit, but there's so many accessories on the Rocon website. But here's the deal: they're and they're considered moto tractors. Uh, well, they call them moto tractors, but they still have the Trailbreaker, the Scout, and the Ranger, and they have Rocon for hunters and a and a special blacked out Rocon for preppers edition. <laughs> And the Rocon... That's the people that would buy it. Yeah, I know. I know. They'd keep their fucking black powder in the wheels and shit. Uh, The Rocon for preppers is 8,400 bucks. So you only do 36 miles an hour, but you can run over anything in your path that's not faster than 36 miles an hour with all your shit. 8,400? Yeah. How much is the base model? 6,800. Like 6,800. Yeah. Not yen and not rupees. Are you sure it's Dollars. not yens? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's probably in yens. Here's the... Uh, I think in American dollars, it's got to be 680. <laughs> that would be amazing. Here's... Look at that. Are you sure the decimal point's on the wrong place? They they got the uh, they got the leading link suspension. They got this special blacked out edition. You can uh, scroll around this, this website, but yeah. yeah how dude. does the chain stay tight? It doesn't because the chain's on the left side. You can't see it, but yeah, they keep weird. that shit secret. But look at all the shit. I mean, look at it. I don't know if it comes with the rifle case on there or it's, the zombie <laughs> flares. You know what? It it should come with a lot more for eighty four hundred dollars. Yeah, I know. Like be something totally different. Look, it's got, this is the cool, this is funny, the Rocon for preppers and hunters has a barbecue grill on the front. I think that's a rack to put stuff on. But it's a barbecue grill. It's a rack that doubles as a barbecue. Does it really say you can take it yeah. off and it's a barbecue grill? Oh, on roconworld.com, there's all sorts of shit that people have made. <laughs> like, you sh- if you go on there, you'll see how crazy insane some of these people are that do, you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, like it's got brush guards. The rear is still rigid as hell. Like I don't, this thing would just break your back. The seat is like 12 but it's inches not, thick. Cause you're only going like 10 mile an hour. And they got yeah. those big soft tires. Like it wouldn't be that bad. Cause remember like the old Honda, like the big red oh my God. No suspension. I had a, my neighbor had the, um, the 110 little that ATC. Big red was a 110. Oh yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. We used to ride that thing around and yeah. just bounce for days after jump. We'd jump with both of us on it and yeah. just bounce for like so six it's, weeks. Like it's similar to that. Like it's not fast enough to where you really need it. Yeah. Dude, I'm just surprised that they're still making them. And actually, I've seen some people doing some crazy they're shit. Rad, but they're not $8,400 rad. That was my only thing, too, is that like for $8,400, I could buy 84 Spamalas. 
so I'm not quite down to go. I mean, and when I saw that the cheapest one is like, oh, the cheapest one isn't 68, it's 67.75. I rounded up to 68, so forgive me, but yeah, like it's pretty hardcore. You can buy a lot of used motorcycles. Yeah. Uh, 75 track day bikes but yeah here's the Rokon for hunters it's like available in like uh, um, Ducks Unlimited camo <laughs> you know it's they're pretty hardcore dude and I will go ahead and put a video up on here that's, so they run the chain down the, the solid part of the fork to a little gear yeah and a, a jack shaft yeah and then they run it forward along the link yeah looking at this thing is crazy and they only have one brake because it's all interlinked and so when you, if you stop one wheel you stop them both mm. so that's how they got away with and the because you're not going is, fast enough to well, matter you put your feet down at 30 miles an hour yeah and uh but there's a rad video of a guy going he he take he's an ex-motocross guy i guess or he was back in the day he looks like he's like 50 but he takes one out. He floats it across water. He does all this stuff on it. So I'm going to go ahead and put that up. Uh, I'll put it in the show notes and everything like that. But yeah, dude, the Rokon um, for preppers. I'm, I'm interested in that one because I heard that the Israeli army uses them and puts like rocket launchers and shit on them. So yeah, that's my uh, my fantasy is to get one of these things. Because, you know, I don't like anything over 200 cc's anyway that goes fast. So one out of two wheel drive. It is kind of perfect for you speed wise. <laughs> yeah, it looks like that YouTube video of like, I believe it's Russian or someone and like the bike floats and it like folds up. Yeah. And the thing- tires are like inner tubes but they're like yeah. low psi it's have but you, it's similar to that thing like yeah I, they probably definitely i mean if, once once that other guy got the his rokon ranger line in china the russians probably went over and stole it from china you know just it made its way through the urals hell, hell it fucking had to pass ural you know <laughs> to get into central russia but um but yeah these things are rad and uh i wouldn't mind taking one of these on just as a tr- you know just to try it and uh, see what it's like to camp on this thing and barbecue something right there on the front <laughs> the front rack, like they say it is, is a barbecue rack. But um, but yeah, I wouldn't mind trying these things out just to see uh, how cool or not cool they are, and uh, just to see if my spine could take the the rigid. So anyway, that was the turd hole. I hope you enjoyed it. Next week's turd hole, we'll probably think of something much cooler than a Rokon to talk about. How's that? How about an RC fifty one? You would just talk about RCs in general, the whole RC line. Yeah, it's funny. I said RC fifty one the other day, and someone thought I was talking about the RC eight. And then I remembered now they got the is it KTM has another RC or who else has an RC something now? I think KTM's coming out with another another RC. Okay, so they've got the RC eight, and there was something else that we were thinking of too. And I was like, how lame, dude! Honda's had RC for their race series bikes for how long? Why would they put RC on the KTM? I wonder what it stands for in the KTM racing. Uh, car, <laughs> maybe race series, and you spell series with the C in uh, Hungarian or whatever KTM is, Belgian. So anything, anything exciting coming up uh, this week? We're we're getting toward the end of the show. I'm glad the turd hole took up the rest of the time because uh, I'm glad I kept you guessing too. I'm glad you didn't know exactly what I was talking about because I was like, man, he's gonna guess that he's gonna guess Rokon. You did, you did. I did after a little pretty, while. Yeah, yeah. Um, what else is two wheel drive besides Christini? Which actually, I want to do a turd hole on that thing. 
I also want to think of a different name besides Turd Hole. So you should come up with something yeah. besides Turd Hole. Lance, who is our new creative director, please email me something. <laughs> he's he's had all the ideas lately. So Lance, email me something better than the Turd Hole. <laughs> it's brown and you're going down. <laughs> Whoever uh, saw you and I just screamed that. I was just so what do you say for this week? Nothing this week, and then. Next week we might have a special guest. So wait, special guest, special guest, and then um, I got a that's couple. It. There's the Arma event at Willow. Yeah, that's going to be the 27th, 28th, and 29th. Uh, the Corsa Moto Classica. I yeah. looked on the Arma website and I didn't see that there's being a triple crown this year, so I'm guessing they're not doing that. But uh, this Friday, 4:20, bro. There's a whole bunch of stuff going down for all you weed heads. But if you're going to be in La Crosse, Wisconsin, Flat Out Friday is having indoor flat track racing. Um, that is, if you can get your pickup truck with your bike in it out of the damn driveway. Yeah. If you're not in three feet of snow, I mean. Yeah, it's. Let's tell them we're recording this on Wednesday, so you got all of Thursday to pray for like some sun. But it was still snowing. They might get more snow. Yeah, on uh, Saturday in Gratz, Pennsylvania, is that what PA stands for? Yeah, in Gratz, Pabst Town, um, there's a hooligan half mile going down. Yeah, that's uh, the uh, Gates East Coast Hooligans. Yeah. It's at 601 East Market Street. The East Coast Hooligan Racing uh, League is putting that on. Gates open at 8, practice at 10, and uh, breakfast whenever you eat it. Uh, ne- like we said, next the 27th, 28th, 29th is the Course Moto Classica out at Willow Springs. Go check that out. It's going to be mostly on Friday is like load in and some practice. Saturday and Sunday is when the real action happens. There's like a lot of... Uh, a lot of racing and practicing that goes on those days. The Rock Moto Art Show is happening uh, also on the 28th um, at Garage Company, and that is going to be pretty pretty cool. It's going from 4 to pretty 8. Pretty exciting. Yeah, that's pretty exciting. If you like art, go check that out. On the 5th, um, there's a couple things going on. The California Classic Car and Bike Show is happening at Santa Anita. It's called The Californian. Uh, that is put on by Brady yep. from Ramming Speed Racing, the guy that we we're always talking about. So is the race next week. The Corsa, yeah. He's, Corsa, he's a Corsa and Ramming Speed, um, they've kind of like joined forces to put on the uh, this leg of it. And that's why there's so many classic track by classic track classic bike track days happening from Ramming Speed is because they are all big Arma fans. So May 5th, are you taking the uh, Plymouth down there or what? I don't know. Brady's like, bring the Plymouth and your bikes. And I'm like, well, the Plymouth is a car, yeah. so I Take can't really get the bikes out. in it. Lean the front seat I could probably and... leave the trunk open and fit a bike in there, though. That's true. It you is fit... that big. Back in the day, they used to fit tons of bodies in those things. It needs registered in this. It needs plates updated, though. Okay. So Put your Dodge know. plates on it. I don't know if I want <laughs> I don't know if I want to be at that place all day long. That, too. It's going to be so. amazing, but it is Kentucky Derby Day, and you know how people get on Kentucky yeah. Derby Day. Uh, also, Cinco de Mayo is happening. People think that that is a Spanish holiday, but it's not really Spanish or Mexican holiday. It's more of an American holiday. Uh, on the f- sixth, if you're in Wales, the Nightingale House Hospice is having a ride. I think it's their third ride from uh, Sangosen to Ponderosa. Do they sit on the opposite side of the motorcycle? They do. 
they shift on the opposite side too, and the throttles on the left. That would be confusing. Uh, yeah. So it says after the success of the last two years. So I don't know if this is the third ride or just like they had a bunch of shitty rides, and the last two have been pretty good. So they're like going to do this. Uh, this one, they're inviting all bikers to the annual ride out, and it starts at um, Sangasen Pavilion. If you speak Welsh, you know what I'm saying. They'll be um, navigating the Welsh country roads with a stop for lunch to enjoy the magnificent scenery. Um, registration includes hey, speaking lunch. Speaking of Brady, he's watching us. Nice. What's up, Mr. Brady? They'll be having lunch at Sin Brennig, which I think is Welsh for King's Lake or like Royal Lake or something like that. Sure. And they'll be finishing at the Ponderosa in Horseshoe Pass. Uh, motorcycle ride out will start at 10 a.m. with registration beginning at 8.30. And it all goes to a really good cause, a hospice house. Um, Mother's Day is uh may 13th don't fuck that up dudes <laughs> sure this is like the most exciting for my instagram live it's just looking at me and you're talking i'm yeah. not even talking i'm just quiet yes that's how this show should be in my opinion <laughs> except for nobody would watch <laughs> if that were the case uh there's gonna be a bunch of other shit happening in may solstice slam is coming up get your entries in by the 30th uh so that we can post them out on the 31st um, the actual solstice is happening. Uh, hey, is Born Free June 1st or is it like June 10th? I know that the Solstice Slam is going down right around Born Free. I'm not 100% sure. But um, anyway, yeah, get your stuff in by May 30th. We've got glorious prizes. We've got the first entry so far, and it's about a crash that left a man laying on a Pasadena sidewalk with ice on his groin. So I'm super excited. We got first blood drawn. I should give the guy a prize just for that. The emails are otherwise empty. So send in your artwork, your music, your crazy stories, and we're going to blab them out on Solstice Slam. If you don't, uh, now that I have a co-host this year, if you don't, Submit something. There'll just be two hours of harmonica, bad harmonica, oh yeah, and juice harp. Because I really am not good at either one. Are you? No. Or or I'll bust out. Two. I have a rad harmonica, but I'm not good at it. Yeah, and I am not very good. And I have a shitty harmonica, <laughs> and I'm not good. So it'll just be two dudes doing harmonica, like our own thing. It'll be like freestyle jazz of harmonica. It'll be terrible. <laughs> so you better submit some shit if you don't want to hear that. And submit something to ask Wigs, because. Yeah. I don't have any stupid questions to answer. Yeah. Except for what's the capital of Nebraska? Uh, what is Nebraska? Um, so, yeah. Like Omaha? Yeah. Is Omaha actually the capital? <laughs> I think it might be. At least it's in the right state. I think it's Lincoln. But uh, anyway, yeah, check it out. And we will be coming to you. The next American flat track race is going to be May 6th at 4 p.m. Eastern time. Um, So check that out. We talked about the contingency money, and we'll be rooting for our best friends, uh, Benji Sorensen and Maya Guteleg, to to win that one. (laughs) Names I totally made up out of of the blue. I like how you have, was the last guy Spanish, or where was he from? Yeah, I don't know. I made that. that, that, I don't know where that name came from. Where was that made up guy from? Uh, I think I put all, I I mixed the letters for Rokon for Preppers around. Um... But it is Texas, and that's where Carver won last year. Yeah. So if you're on an XR, you can win ten thousand bucks first place. Get in there, do it. I, if I had to guess, he's going to ride an XR again. Yeah. <laughs> At hey, least did that round. Uh, the the hippie killer happened, and you didn't ride that because your hand. But I heard there was magnificent crashes. Where's the next hooligan event going down? That's not why I didn't race it. Oh well, I know that's not why you didn't <laughs> race it, but also someone. Uh, there's someone actually a race um, this weekend. 
at Paris. It's kind of a SoCal Hooligans veggie plate, but it's kind of not. Um, Are so, you putting it on? Uh, Will same there be a ste- veggie plate? There's no veggie. I'm not even going. So it's actually. not a veggie plate. But I'm helping promote for Steve. I'm just trying to get a few guys out. He just said, hey, we got some Speedway, so can we get like 12 guys? And I think I have like seven or eight. But nice. whatever. It'll be fun for the guys that show up. Um, you know, a lot of those guys just want to go race. So if you have any good time. Yeah. If you have any questions, submit them to askwigs, W-I-G-G-Z, at gmail.com. General show questions can be directed to Creative Writing Podcast at gmail.com or you can send your question written on the seat of a RC51 yep or as long as in under the seat there's the signed title too yeah you write it on the signed title actually you know what I don't even give a shit if you sign a title or not I'll, I'll I take it to Willow either way an, oh, okay if it's gonna be a track bike if you know anybody that wants a 1979 CB400T that is the Thumper Twin version of it the Thumper Twin or is it for triple you decide what the T stands for we'll figure it out on the 400T it's a twin I know, but I was hoping that Ted from Motorcycle Men is wondering if it's a triple thumper twin. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, hit up Girl on a Moto. She's got one for sale. And uh, if you want to buy a duck or a sweet, not a real duck, if you want to buy a Ducati Monster or a uh, Harley Dyna, hit up Wiggins. Yep. And if you want to send an RG500 Gamma, you can send that. To, I'll give you my address. DM us on the Instagrams. <laughs> and uh, all right. That's our show for this week. Is that your sign-off, Wigs? Is that our show?